April 23rd, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We uh, got a lot on our plate today. Going to talk some NFL draft uh, news. The latest news is the uh, the draft is coming up uh, just later this evening as when, I, when this is recorded. And so if you want to get a full draft preview. Remember last week we did a full draft preview. We went through like a round one mock. We went team by team who they may go, um, who may they look to select in the first round. We went through each team's needs. So if you want to check that out, um, uh, make sure to uh, give that a look from last week where we go through everything you need to know for the NFL draft. And and then we're going to get into an interview with uh, Mike Joyce from TVG. And we're not going to be talking a whole lot about horse racing. We are going to talk about the documentary, uh, The Last Dance, the Bulls Michael Jordan documentary that was on ESPN last weekend. Mike is from Chicago. He grew up uh, rooting for the Bulls. Um, This was literally his era of basketball, so he remembers all of this. He's a really cool um, person to talk to about it, so make sure to uh, listen in to that conversation. We're going to talk some uh, horse racing, Gulfstream and Oaklawn Thursday. Gulfstream in Oakland Friday, and then we close things out with a little wrestling talk, and going to be old school wrestling with Jason Beam and Danny Kovaloff. We're going to recap WrestleMania Four, the tournament. Macho Man Randy Savage gets the win. Uh, Bobby the the Brain Heenan uh, uh, all over the show. Jimmy Hart, some of those great managers. We got Gorilla and uh, Jesse at the commentary booth. Hogan and Andre throughout the tournament. A lot of fun recapping that. Let's get right into uh, NFL draft news. So, if if you missed out, Gronk, yeah, Rob Gronkowski, former Patriot, who did not play last year, who was the host of WrestleMania, and is the current WWE 24-7 champion, he was traded to Tampa, to the Bucks with a 7th round pick, and the Patriots get back a 4th round pick. So, it's uh, Tom Brady... And Gronk reunited in Tampa. So, the the question that we'll all ask, how healthy is Gronk? He's always had uh, knee issues, back issues, big guy. Yeah, how focused is he? Got a lot of other things that he's been involved in. Uh, is he in you know, football shape? Is he going to be able to get into the type of shape he needs to be successful, to be competitive? Last we saw him in 2018, he had 682 yards receiving and three touchdowns. He played in 13 games, 47 receptions. He's, you know, gone for over 1,000 yards four times in his career. Had some, you know, double-digit touchdown years five times. We know what his ceiling is, but how much of that guy is still there? Man, I'll tell you, it was a crazy NFL offseason. There was so much movement. So that's not really NFL draft news, but it's definitely NFL news leading up to the draft. Um, another uh, signing, the Colts signed tight end Trey Burton. He was really uh, like highly projected over the last couple of years, was supposed to be someone coming to Chicago that uh, folks thought were going to take the next step. He had 54 receptions for 569 yards and uh, six touchdowns in 2018, but he was not really on the field much last year only able to uh to catch 14 balls for a total of 84 yards so 
Can the Colts get out of him what uh, many folks thought was there a few years ago? He was like a hot fantasy name. Uh, a lot of people were talking to him about like a breakout tight end in uh, 2018. The Redskins are are looking about um, into trading their uh, offensive lineman Trent Williams. They've had you know problems for a while now, and right before the draft, this could be a good opportunity for the Redskins to, you know, give a high quality offensive lineman to a, a team in need, and for Washington to be able to to you know gain an asset here before the draft. And then we get all these rumors, right? The Dolphins are looking to trade up to get an offensive lineman. That's the the rumor. Offensive tackle. Possibly a swap with the Giants because the Giants are looking to maybe move down a little bit. So are the Cardinals there? Uh, the Giants are at pick four. Dolphins are at pick five. So Dolphins may be moving up a little bit. Giants may be moving down. Perhaps they swap. Cardinals wanting to maybe move down from the 8th pick to stack a little bit more draft capital. They don't have a second round pick, so they could uh, maybe add a couple picks if they uh, if they trade down. The Panthers, they're also thinking about trading down. The Detroit Lions, they're willing to entertain trade offers for the number 3 pick. And the Falcons, they're looking to move into the top 10, maybe to get a, a top level cornerback or offensive tackle. Falcons are number 16. And the Browns, they're number 10. They could trade down a little bit and gain more assets. So we're getting a lot of these rumors now within 24 hours of the uh, of the NFL draft. I'm excited, especially with nothing going on. And uh, with the, the way this draft is going to be with, you know, a virtual draft. Everything being done on, uh, you know, Zoom, Skype, conferences. And so going to be a, a different NFL draft this year. Okay, let's get on over to our first interview on this show. It's going to be with Mike Joyce from TVG. We catch up with Mike a little bit at the beginning, and then we jump on into talking about the first two episodes of The Last Dance, the documentary about the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan, and that 1997-1998 final season uh, where they were all together. And Mike lived it. He was in it. Kick back and enjoy this interview. We talk a little basketball in that documentary. It's pretty crazy to think that uh, this next guest actually hasn't been on. That's what G said. I talked to him before on the Mike Abadier show, and I worked with Mike Joyce for, uh, I think, five years over at TVG. Very happy to be talking to Mike Joyce. And, Mike, right before, right when I bring you on, I got to give you a little uh, a little balls washing right away. That was a great pick in the Rainbow Six last week with your ballsy single there. You just couldn't get the ticket put together, but hell of a job, man. Yeah, so how about this? I, so I singled a horse that was 15 to 1 morning line. I couldn't get the 7 to 2 shot into it. And I, I went 4 of 6. I, you know, who cares about going 4 of 6? But I couldn't get the 7 to 2 shot. And the other horse I missed was the one that Gabby gave out. Same scenario, 15 to 1 morning line. It was that Roger Atfield horse, third time U.S. First two starts in the States didn't look that great on paper, but it was definitely like a replay horse. So, yeah, it was one of those. It was one of those I was closing. and weaving. I had two of the three hardest horses to have in the Rainbow Six, and then like I missed kind of. But you know what the thing is? Like I could have had the Atfield horse that Gabby gave out. Sure. The horse that beat me, I was three deep in that race. The horse was seven to two or ninety. I think it was seven to two. 
And I'm like, unless I bought this race, I never would have had the horse. So I can't really get that mad. It's yeah, like, you, don't, I, you don't feel as pissed off about it because it's, it wasn't like the one that you just decided to cut out because you wanted to make a ticket a little cheaper or anything like I that. It was like, like the horse. Yeah. I didn't like him at all. It's like, going to happen. I, and those yeah. are the easier ones to swallow. It was, it was yeah. like, hey, you know what? You had a pretty good opinion throughout most of the day, but it's like, I just, I just wouldn't have got there. You know, that one's a little right. easier. And, and I don't play, I don't play a pick five, pick fours as much as I used to. I mean, you, you were a PBD back in the day. Yeah, was, yeah. It was, it was, it was such a bad habit. All of us, the only thing we would play was a pick four, pick five, pick six. That was it. And now I've really like tailored my play to be more, I bet, I bet to win actually, if you can imagine yeah. that. It was crazy. So this crazy exotic wager you're doing is a win bet. Um, <laughs> and then I, I play doubles and pick threes. And, you know, my, my brother and I have always kind of, we always talk about doing it, but then I really started doing it. I'm like, it makes way more sense. Instead of playing, you know, a pick four for $96 or something like that. I'll play a pick three with like six combinations, but I'll punch it 10 times or I'll punch yes, it 20 times. Absolutely. And your hit rate is way higher and you're, retur- you're just in a way better shape. And then same thing with doubles, right? Instead of spending, you know, $48 on a pick three, I'll do, you know, I'll do two by one in a double and punch it 40 times. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that it's just it's just a way better way to go. Just yeah, a way better way to go. That was you know when I I started doing that again this year because I was doing a little bit of work with Sam Houston. You know I was covering some of their races for um for the podcast here, and they've got that fifteen you know that you know twelve I think twelve percent takeout on everything like all of their rolling exotics. So you right. could play a double and a pick three just just like you're saying and like and not feel like because that's kind of what happens now is like with those low takeout pick fives we kind of feel baited you, you want to play what's going to give you a better return on your investment so you feel like a little more baited to play into those pools and it it's nice when you get the opportunity to play it into a place like how sam houston was where you can just fire away on anything because that's like that's always where my dad did his best with like the the rolling pick threes and he'd hit it 10 times he'd play like a two by two by two pick three chuck a chalk yeah. chuck the chalks out and he hit it 10 times and you hit the pick three for 250 bucks and you just made 2500 Well, I don't forget that what the low takeouts do, everyone gets all, you know, oh, the low takeout and the return is so much higher. But you have to realize in 2020, the reason that the returns are higher on a low takeout are totally different. When you have a 15 or 12% takeout, you don't have the pools being flooded by the computer betters. Yes. Because the, those computer betters, that's why the pick four is kind of a dead wager anymore. Mm-hmm. Because the computer betters, they're just buying up all these combinations and multiple times and they're flooding the pool. So, when it comes even semi-logically, the return sucks because they're playing for a rebate. Like, they're going to do that in a pool where the takeout's 22% yep. because they're getting 7% back. But if they're going into a pool where the takeout's 15%, they're not going to get the rebate on it. The tracks aren't going to give it to them. So you're, you're avoiding that kind of watering down of the value in the pools. So never forget that. When you see – I mean, that's a, every time you see a 12% or a 15% takeout, you just got to draw a huge circle around that wager and make sure that, you know, you're not, you're not leaving yourself out of – you know, a, a shake that's way more friendlier to the individual medium to small size gambler. So, I mean, how the hell are you doing right now with, with everything going on? Like, you got a new baby there. Uh, what's how are you and your family um, dealing with all the, the the virus stuff? Um, it's stressful. I mean, I'm not going to lie, and I'm not. I've been doing a podcast for TVG, and I had mm-hmm. you know Brittany and Doug O'Neill on two of the last three episodes, and they're the most positive people on the planet. Doug O'Neill, you can walk up to it. The world could literally be crumbling. He's like, hey, this rock's pretty steady. Hey, What's up, buddy? Hey, Give you a big uh, hug and, like, slap you. Oh, yeah, he's so you, yeah, yeah, you feel great about it. You're like, yeah, you're right. This rock's great. Everything else is falling apart. But, um, and Brittany, is, she, she'll admit, she said she's all sunshine and puppy dogs. I am the exact opposite of that. <laughs> right? I'm, 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 I'm a like cynic. You, yeah. 
I think everything's worse. I, and I, and there's a part of me that I hate all like the, the, Oh, we need a feel good story. I'm like, what are you talking about? Feel good. It's terrible. We're in a <laughs> pandemic. Like, this is awful. Everyone's like, we're in this together. I'm like, no, we're not. This is the exact opposite of being in we're, together. We're literally alone. <laughs> yeah. We're all alone. What are you talking? <laughs> Nobody's in this together. If you're in it together, you're doing it wrong. Like, what are you talking about? And everyone's like, oh, there's always, you know, people who are always looking for that silver lining. I'm like, you're cracked. This is awful. Like, stop. Yeah. Shut up. I hate it. Like, and I feel like there's a bunch of people like me out there that are so sick of all the feel good stories. I'm like, I don't want to feel good. This is terrible. Like, when it's over, we can feel good. But like, this is terrible. I'm allowed to feel terrible. Leave me alone. So, um, yeah. And I mean, and me too. I, we know that I don't have the uh, the strongest immune system in the world, so I'm just steering clear of everybody. Like, I don't want to go anywhere out with the crazies. Like, I got a new baby here too. I'm just minding my own business. That's what's great about that. Well, and and that kind of transitions to the next point. It's we're lucky to be living in an era right now, doing what we do, where we're able to still do it. Like, I can do every show and everything that I do from home and TBG. I got to give you credit. I got to applaud, you know, and, and I'll be the first, like, you know, when I left TVG a few years, years ago, I'll be the first, like, I will applaud TVG when they do things that I, that I like. And when they don't, I'll be the first to say, ah, I don't like that. Or that wasn't this, or that was, you guys have been doing a great job, man. Like it, we have the ability with the technology and what's fun with, with seeing everybody from home, it kind of like adds a different personality to the show, right? You get to see everybody with like their, you know, like Caleb's got uh, the cat there and Dave's doing the stuff with Sophie now. And like everybody's got their little setup. It's a little bit different. It kind of gives you a little like glimpse into their world. I, like you guys have been doing a really good job. I'm sure technically it was a little goofy at first, but how has it been different for you, you know, working like alone at home? First of all, you forgot about the goats. Matt has all those goats, <laughs> those on the goats. behind him. Yeah, the goats are really, to me, the highlight of everyone's home life. Matt has an entire goat herd eating the mountain behind his house. Who, who knew? Um, so it's a little different because everything has, and you've done you know, plenty of, of shows where you have someone on remote and you're back in the studio or there's a delay. And it can be that awkward moment in the double box where did they talk? Are they done talking? Do I jump in? Was there, is there kind of that moment? So everything's like that because everyone's on a remote location and most of us are on live view cameras, right? Which are basically, you know, network caliber, high definition cameras to broadcast with. But then some of us are on Skype. And so everything is kind of a mismatch, mishmash technically. And then the way they've got it set up behind the scenes, and I know a lot of people don't get you know, exposed to how television really is made. But, you know, TVG, we have a, a $20 million studio that has all the bells and whistles you could possibly want. And everyone's located right there. Well, everyone's gone. Like nobody can be in the studio. They have yeah. five people in there. So the technical director who's punching the buttons is at home. The producer is at home. The director is at home and they're all in different places. They're, I mean, there's, there's just a handful of people in the building and it's amazing to me that everyone's making these shows work. It's coming so, together. It's impressive. Yeah, it's crazy it really that, that really, it really actually works. I'm like, how? I mean, like, we saw the NBA try to do that, like, that horse thing, and that was awful. I mean, that was atrocious. I don't know if you caught that at all. I mean, it was, it was bad. It was, like, this doesn't seem, obviously, like you said, there, it, no matter what, it would be better if it was in the studio and everybody was there, but it doesn't seem like that much of a drop-off from what we as a fan want and why we turn TVG on, to hear from you guys, to hear some analysis, to get set up for the races. Well, it actually makes me feel good about myself, because you know, and be it back to me being a cynic, I don't think that anybody that does like my job or your job, I don't think any of us are any good, right? I think we're all kind yeah. of faking it. I think there's maybe <laughs> one, or, there's one or two people that I think are actually really good, 
It's like Nick Luck and Todd Shrub, and that's about it. Like the rest of us, like screw it, we're all just we're all kind of faking it. Like there's not really much to it. But watching the NBA stuff, the horse and all the stuff they have going on makes me realize I'm like, oh no, actually there are people that are worse than me because my fear was you could always just take some athlete. I always said my proof that we weren't any good. I go look at all these athletes. They pluck off the court, off the field of play with no training, and they just slap them in front of the camera and they win 20 Emmys. <laughs> I'm like, clearly this isn't like a really high caliber skill here. Anybody can do this. Talent is a crazy word, right? Yeah, dude, completely misapplied in, in our, our sense. But now we're getting to see all these other. I'm like, oh, okay, that guy doesn't have a future. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. you better, you better save that that round ball money, buddy, because uh, they're 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 not going to be knocking down your door to broadcast later. So it made me feel good about myself. But I will say this: the acceptable level of what goes on the air has gotten really low. So major networks have gone to people skyping in and facetiming yeah. in, and TVG basically hasn't. We have a handful of people skyping, but most of our talent have it's cameras. Camera. Yep. Yeah, and it I, it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. How it looks is important. So I yeah, thank you for that comment. But I'm I am really impressed with how they got it all together and like all the technical crew that that and the engineers that had to just pull double time and figure all this stuff out. It's pretty amazing. Okay, so I got a couple more things we got to catch up on with you because it's been a while. Um, tell everybody about the new baby. What, what's going on with the the little man? So I'm actually pushing him in a stroller right now. If I sound out of breath, because I am. Um, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So Luke Connor, he's t- he's actually ten months old now. Um, nice. He was born June fifteenth last year. He's my third. I've got two teenagers and a ten month old. So I didn't plan this out very well. Yeah. Um, uh, he's good. You know, he's happy and healthy and um you know thankfully the pandemic seems to be sparing children and the younger you are the less likely you are to have any serious complication from it so that gives us a little bit of peace of mind but it's hard not to as you know you have a new one as well it's hard not to be overly protective of your child in yes. this instance yeah because it's not it's you know you throw statistics and, and and numbers right out the window it's like if anything happens to your child you're devastated so you can't like you're just you're so protective so it is it does add a little more stress um more so for my wife than me um and, and selfishly for like you and i i'm glad that we you know my, my son's now five and a half months and i'm glad that i'm glad that this isn't going on while we're having the kids that would make it even more scary for me like being at the oh, hospital yeah. being around all that like it's kind of nice yeah. that it was we kind of got that out of the way and we're at least able to, to be back home and taking care of them how about my my nephew's wife is expecting yeah. i think he's expecting in july and they live on the lower east side of manhattan Oh my goodness! Oh so, yeah, so that's right really in the middle of everything. Sorry, I'm getting attacked by a wild pack of dogs here. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it, it 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 is stressful. Um, but you know, the other thing that's been pretty stressful for me is I haven't seen the teenagers for a month because when all this hit, they were with their mom, and we decided not to have them go back and forth. So it's been yeah. four weeks since oh. I've seen Sammy and Declan. The good news is there's teenagers, so who the hell wants to see them anyway? I was gonna say they don't they don't care about you right now, anyways. But yeah. uh. At least you may be able to like FaceTime them here and there and say hello, but it's just definitely not the same. Um, that that yeah. that's a bummer. So, did did the the baby spark the toupee hair, or uh, what was what was uh, what was the spark of the the toupee? So <laughs> I was really tired of my hairstyle because I when I my hair gets too long, okay, I kind of have like this like spiky, messy hairstyle, and when it gets too long, I feel like I look like the old man who's trying to look young. I just feel like it's kind of it's too youthful of a hairstyle so i wanted something with like a part but then there's like this transition okay and so there's no easy way to do the transition especially when you're on tv every day so um 
the good thing about me is I have no shame. So I'm just like, all right, screw it. Let's just, just grow it out. Let's just figure this out. So I started combing it over one day and I like looked in the mirror. I'm like, holy crap. I look like I'm wearing Marv Albert's toupee. I was like, this is, this is awesome. So most people are embarrassed. Like, oh, I got to do something for me. I'm like, oh, this is great. And then my wife thought it was hideous. And I'm like, well, that was the worst thing you could have told me. I'm going to keep going with it. Yeah, this is even better. So I started doing this like bad comb, like bad part, like, you know, like late 70s toupee hairstyle. And I was like hairspraying it in place. And it looked like a toupee. So I started joking and calling it my toupee. And it's amazing. I would say 50% of my followers on social media think it's really a toupee. Yeah. I mean, it is like, it's, and like now I've, I've gone, I, like I've, I've kind of bridged that gap and I've gotten closer to a hairstyle I want, although I can't really get a haircut. My, my wife's just taking the clippers to the side and the back. And even still, people are like, when are you going to get rid of that toupee? I'm like, oh my God. Like they really, like people can't, like they can't believe it. No. So. Yeah, so it's really it's one of those things. It was kind of an Andy Kaufman moment, like a joke I only found funny. And you just um, got to keep running with it. You just got to so run just, it into the damn ground, right? Yeah, just keep <laughs> just keep rolling with it, yeah. So you had mentioned, too, that you're a little cynical. And I think a lot of people that know you probably know TVG's Mike Joyce, who's you know a smart-ass, funny guy on, the, on there a lot of the time. But I got to kiss your, your butt a little bit here because I don't think a lot of people know – um, that that don't know um, our relationship And when I was a TVG When I was coming up and I got hired as a producer's assistant And you were like One of my biggest fans You were someone who I will never forget Was always on my side You were very like Which is funny, you're a cynical guy But you were never that way with me You were always like really helpful with me To the producers You were always like singing my praises In fact, you brought me in to work on a radio show with you When we had only known each other for a few months It was called The Vig And that was actually I think when I saw you working on that show with you That was where like my respect level for you grew the, the most Because you literally produced our show You did the entire rundown You set everything up we would get to Angel Anaheim Stadium on, uh, I think it was Sunday mornings when we'd have that show at like 7 in the morning and it would be an hour. We'd cover football games. You would have everything done. You got the sponsors and the money that was able to get the show produced. I mean, it was incredible. And you always were on my side. You always stuck up for me. Um, you know, and what I was thinking I was thinking about this the other day. The VIG was just like a few years too early, right? That would have been perfect as a podcast oh, nowadays. We were way ahead of our time. And I want to bring it back, but I, I'm so goddamn busy right now. But um, no, first of all, you did the first episode getting with with like a in, with a spike in your arm, getting chemo in the, like hospital. In the hospital. Yeah, like your our first episode was your first round of chemo. I think. Yep, you came and visited me in Temple City before, like, uh, and we we talked about the show like the week before. Even whenever uh, I even went into the hospital, my family, um, you were there with my family and stuff too. So I mean, just just a little ass kissing I had to do because we have fun and we give each other shit a lot. But you know what? You were definitely someone, especially when I was going through a hard time, and then even afterwards when I was back at TVG, just doing my reporting, working the shows. Like you were always telling them, "Oh yeah, Gino can do that. He can do that." Like you definitely were someone who helped me. Move along So I wanted to Publicly Kiss your butt A little bit for that Well you I, You did a good job And the, we were always like I always loved when Like people would Give you And it wasn't that Long ago for that I was the young I'm 42 now But I used to be The young guy Trying to make a Make his way Into in the world um, But I always Like Everyone was always Very critical Right In horse racing So what kind of I mean Like let's be honest We're an industry Full of pricks Right Like yeah. everybody's oh, yeah. just We love to just Tear people down And you know, and, and, and assume the worst. And people would always get on the young people, right? So I would be covering it, and people wouldn't do interviews for me, and people wouldn't, 
Um, same type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And they would do the same thing. I'm like, yeah, like I always thought it was great. I was like, no, let's, let's, let's alienate young talent in, in horse racing. Here's people that love the game. They're young, they're enthusiastic, they're energetic. They're trying to, win. let's, let's make sure we make them feel as <laughs> uncomfortable as possible and drive them out with, with the, the most speed available to us. Like it was, it was always to me, like it, it kind of, you have to have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder because it's re- it is a hard industry to get some respect. People just, they, they just don't want to accept you. So I think because of that, that's why, you know, I, I, I always saw a little bit of that same, you know, that same struggle that I had to go through with you. So I kind of felt like it was, it was a little personal. It was kind of first person for me. I appreciate it, man. It, it, it was, uh, it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of positivity for me. I was always like, oh, yeah, because I was I was almost funny. I looked up to you and Matt and like Todd, you know, you were guys I used to watch before. So it was one of those things like getting to work with you and then becoming good friends with you uh, was just one of those things that you're like, wow, you look back on after. It's like I used to watch those guys and now we're buddies. We, we you know, we shoot each other texts anytime here and there. So uh, just thanks again, man. I probably wouldn't even be like here doing what I am without the support of you and, and, and people like you who are kind of helping me uh, out along the way. So uh, enough, enough ass kissing. Let's get to the reason why I wanted to talk with you a little bit. There was the, uh, the documentary that was, that just came out the last dance all about the bulls final season together, that 97, 98 season. So, okay. For some of the folks that wouldn't know, like, why would I be talking to you about this? Set it up a little bit. Well, I grew up in Chicago and my dad was a diehard Celtics fan, actually, um, for a number of reasons. One was because he went to Holy Cross at the same time Bob Cousy did. Uh, and two, because um, one of his best friends, a guy he worked at when he worked with when he was at Madison Square Garden, was um, Alan Cohen, who owned the Celtics during the Larry Bird, Kevin McHale run in the 80s. And as much as I, like, I wanted to like the Celtics, after the draft in 84 and the Chicago Bulls took Michael Jordan, I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old living in Chicago. And that was it. Like you were, there was no changing my mind. It's like, you were sucked in. Like this was, it was a vortex. And I had the privilege of rooting for the greatest athlete of our generation and probably of all time. So I was always a huge Jordan fan, Bulls fan. And then my time. So watching the funny thing about watching this documentary to me is that, and you'll, you're starting to get older now, so you'll realize how true this is. I read somewhere that 75% of all the memories you have in your life, you make before you're 25. Yeah. So 75% of everything in your memory bank happened in the first 25 years of your life. And you got to think the first 10 years, you don't remember anything. So it's really just that 15 years from like 10 years old to 25, where everything, like most of your memories come from. And this so was watching this, this, is, this for you. Yeah. So watching this documentary isn't like, oh, we're going back 25 years or 22 years. To, this is like happened yesterday to me, right? These are like, these are like, oh yeah, like this is like the, the most easily accessible memories for me were these Bulls teams and, you know, the, 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 the second three-peat, especially because I was when I was in college and um, I was just following it really closely and I was going to bars a lot and watching all the games and I was at the 97 finals. Uh, I was actually at the flu game. Um, yeah. In Salt Lake city. So I'll give you a little tangent here, a little, little, um, story. So my brother, my brother, Eugene, um, who's my only other brother in racing, there's, there's 13 of us. Um, but he's the only one of the other one in racing and he and I have always been really tight. So I I was 20 in in 97 or 19, about to be 20. My brother, Eugene is the kind of guy who is like, he's just a force of personality. Unlike anything you've ever seen in your life. And a buddy of his who used to work for my dad, this guy Tom Finch, was just as much of a hustler as they come. And he was really tight with Michael's inner circle and 
Um, he had back in the day, they had these, you know, these giant screens like you see on the infield of San Anita and Gulfstream now. Well, they didn't have those. They had like two of them in the world. They were called Sony Trinitrons. And they were like 50 feet and they, they were on a semi trailer. Well, he owned two of them. So at the NBA Finals, like he was the guy, they, he was the vendor they contracted to put the Sony Trinitrons like in the parking lot outside the Delta Center in Utah, outside the, Chicago, the United Center in Chicago. And he was like, hey, Gino, like, come down i got you set up so at that time my brother eugene you know he's got tom finch there another good friend of his is john ruane who's like vp of broadcast ops for nbc sports at the time and he's um you know he's he's there you know for the finals and um so the first night i think it's game the flu game was game four or game five game four the night before because there were three four and five were in utah game four the night before they um they took my dad to the game and so my dad goes they have press passes hanging out in the press box and peter vesey recognizes my dad one because they both went to regis high school peter vesey about 10 12 years behind my dad and then two because um he used to work for the the new york post new york times so one of those two and my dad was you know the senior vice president of madison square garden so my dad was running the garden and he's running the rangers and all the concerts and all the subsidiary racetrack so he really so he knew who my dad was from those days he's like what the hell are you doing here so after that we all had dinner like in salt lake at a restaurant in salt lake it was like my my dad my brother john Wayne, peter vesey i'm like you know some snot-nosed 19 year old kid with a ponytail <laughs> and then the next night they're like all right you know mike you can you you get to go to the game this time I'm like all right cool so i gotta go then so eugene and i drive up there no press passes right just nothing no tickets nothing like how the hell are we gonna get in so my brother Eugene has a, a cell phone, and this is like, this is like Zach Morris cell phone almost, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. So had like so like the people who had cell phones were like Secret Service police and James Bond, and that was it. Right? <laughs> like nobody had cell phones back then, and it was like this big giant brick phone. So he like gra- he like walks up. It's not even. It's not even I don't even think the goddamn thing had batteries. Like he didn't even have a number. He's just like walking up. So he walks up and he starts acting. He was a classically trained actor. Um, in his youth, he like studied at Juilliard in musical theater. So he's very convincing when he pulls off the crap like this. So he starts talking into the cell phone. He goes, look, he goes, look for the most cops huddled in a bunch. I'm like, what? So we're walking around and there's people like sitting in line. We're kind of walking around the back of the Delta Center. There's like a chain link fence. There's like 15 cops standing at it. He's like, that's where we're going. He's like, just don't say a word. And he goes, and hold my briefcase. I'm like, all right, so I'm holding his briefcase. He's on the phone talking and he's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm trying to, all right, man, I don't know where the hell I'm going. Hang on. And he puts the phone against his chest and he looks and goes, Hey, Hey, come here. And the cop comes over. He goes, I need to get to the NBC truck right now. And the cop's like, yeah. And he like opens the fence and walks <laughs> in. I'm like, are you kidding me? That just That's happened. Amazing. So, he like, so we walk in to the Delta center through the tunnel, like through the main like tunnel where like everybody comes in, like where the players walk in, but like, walking through the bowels of this arena and we just walk out onto the floor. And I'm standing on the floor on the bull's end as, like, Scotty Tip is doing a layup. I'm like, are you kidding me? We're, like, five minutes before tip-off. I'm like, how the hell did we get out of here? And Eugene's like, hey, Mike, look for Finch. So I'm, like, looking around. Sure enough, like, five rows up behind the, like, one of the benches, Tom Finch stands up, like, waving his arms. He's like, all right, great. So we walk up there. Finch's like, hey, I only got the one press pass for you, Gino. So, uh, Michael, here's last night. Just wear it backwards. I'm like, where am I going to go? He's like, I don't know. So I'm just I'm like on my own. I'm like walking around the Delta Center. My brother's sitting, you know, courtside with Finchie, and I'm just okay. 
So I made myself up to press row, which is kind of high up, but at least I had like a place to sit. And I watched the flu game from up there and you're kind of high up, but you could tell, like, I didn't know until afterwards that Michael had the flu, you know, it was, and you could kind of hear rumors, but all the like different beat writers and whatnot were up there and they're saying like, it doesn't look right. Like something's wrong. And then there's rumors flying. But yeah, that was the one NBA finals game I've ever been to in my life was the flu game. What an incredible memory on that one. Jeez. Yeah. That- it, that's unbelievable. So, w- what I really like about the the way the documentary's been done, because this footage has been out there for twenty five years now. You know, like they've yeah. been like different people. Like Bill Simmons was talking about it. Like he was trying to put a documentary together for the last few years. Like a lot of different groups have have attempted to, but it but you needed to get the cooperation from Jordan because like this wouldn't be uh, the reason why this is so good is because you have Michael Jordan there, kind of narrating along with it, you know, and giving his opinion. On everything all the way throughout I really love the way they set this up Mike how you know it's it's all Based on that last dance That final season but what they do Is it, it, it and we've only seen two episodes So far it looks like they're going to You know that's the overall theme but then Each episode is going to kind of have its its Own like singular focus and in episode One it was basically you know Michael Jordan coming from college To the NBA the draft um, and then we got to see like that awesome um, when, when he got hurt and then he came back in that awesome series against the, the Celtics where he, he like almost was able to single handedly beat them before the Bulls or even the Bulls. I love how yeah. it bounces back and forth. I think they do a really good job of that. And so far, so for that first episode, that theme where we kind of saw young Jordan um, and and we you know we heard about like you know the, the stories with Dean Smith and the stories with James Worthy was great. He said I was better better than him for about two weeks, <laughs> you yeah. know. And then two yeah. weeks in, like, what are some of the things from that first episode, Young Jordan moving from Carolina to the Bulls that you like really remembered or that stood stood out to you? Well, the best part about that episode was the story about going into the hotel room and there was all the hookers oh, and blow yeah. everywhere. The traveling cocaine that circus. The, oh, that was yeah, that was the best story. I, that's one I hadn't heard before, right? And. <laughs> It never really dawned on me because, like, the NBA in the late 70s, early 80s, it was, I mean, they had a massive drug problem, right? Yeah. And the, and I guess it was the death of Len Bias that it took that to kind of clean it up. But um, I'd never heard that story. And no. that was the one that, that just cracked me up. I was like, and, like, you get the idea of just how, and I think we all knew it, and it wasn't anything, any new information. But you get the idea of how he was wired from a really early point on. I mean, and it's unlike anybody else. So... I know that people say these things that, you know, winning is the most important thing. Winning, like, no, like, yeah, that's great. But I mean, he was literally psychotic about it. I mean, there was, I mean, it's a problem. He has a psychological disorder that if he was not a supremely gifted athlete, he'd be in a straitjacket. Oh, you're right. I mean, he, you're, you're absolutely he, right. It, you know, so like for a 20, like when I, I, well, I know how I would handle it. If I was a 20 year old kid and I walked into a hotel room with hookers and blow, the, the last thing I'm going to say is, hey, I'm out of here, guys. I'm out of here. Yeah. Like, that's, <laughs> like, that's the last response I would have ever – I don't even think it would have come to my head. And for him, he's like, no, I'm not going to do this. And he just, you know, was just like, all right, I'm going to buckle down and get better. Like, he just wanted to get better as fast as he could. And he <laughs> wanted to win. And it's – and you just get the – like, the, the first episode, they do a good job of letting you realize, you know, it, it, it was different. It wasn't like LeBron. It wasn't like Kobe. It wasn't like – Hakeem or Kareem or Wilt or I mean it was purely the most he was the most competitive human that has ever walked the planet and it didn't matter he could like he couldn't care about draft picks or rebuilding or any of that he just wanted to win he just wanted to win he didn't care how it happened he wanted to win 
And if it wasn't, you know, if, if he needed to take over a game, so be it. Like, he didn't care. And I think that – I don't know why – I mean, I guess I understand why he wouldn't want his portrayal as it was in this to come out and maybe reflect poorly on him. But I think if we all knew that, right? Like, it's yeah. not – it's not 96, 97 anymore where everyone's like super nice. I mean, he had the press wrapped around his finger because if you were a sports writer in the 90s, you needed access to Michael Jordan. And if you didn't get it, you had no job. Yeah. Yeah. You had no job. So he controlled the press. It was totally different. This is pre-social media. The hyenas couldn't circle on him. So I think he's just so used to controlling his image that he was worried about it coming out. But like now we all know it. We all know what he was like. He wasn't a nice guy. He didn't want to, you know, you didn't want to come over and have him over for dinner. You he wanted to watch him play basketball because he was going to win at all costs. And it was, it, was, it was unique in that he was the most dominant alpha male that has ever stepped foot on a basketball court. And you, you kind of hit on something, too. He was able to and, – and I don't want to say, like, de- deceive or, like, pull the wool over your eyes isn't the right word. But what you said, like, I guess maybe manipulate his, the situation to exactly the way he wanted it. Because we, you know, that that's what was needed, for, like the, from the media at that point. Like you, you needed him. You needed access to Jordan. So he was able to, and and then with, you know, with the, with the sneakers and with and and as he became bigger and bigger and got into the movies and Space Jam and everything, like he to America, he was this great, friendly, big smile MJ. And but what we know behind closed doors, that's not at all who he was. No, he was he was he was a psychopath. He was. It, it wasn't enough to, to beat you. He wanted to eviscerate you, right? And and, and uh, mentally, like, mentally he wanted to crush you. We even see, like, how, you know, they say, like, some of the bench players that he, like, destroyed their careers, you know, by how, he, how hard he went at them in practice. Well, speaking of Bill Simmons, he wrote a great, I don't know if it was in the book of basketball or it was just an article he was writing on the, the 92 Dream Team and what he did to Clyde Drexler. Because yeah. what happened going into the, so basically he was so rough on Clyde Drexler in the dream team practices. Like he couldn't, he couldn't beat the guy enough. Apparently he got into his head so hard that Drexler one of the stories is Drexler showed up to practice one day and he brought two left shoes. And instead <laughs> of like admitting he brought two left shoes and seeing everybody like having everybody see him leave the building and get made fun of, he played the whole practice in two left shoes. Cause he just, he didn't want, he didn't want anyone to see it. He didn't want like ridicule. He was, yeah. He couldn't, he couldn't handle it. And it took Magic and Larry to, like, pull Michael aside and say, all right, you have to stop. Like, you have to stop now. And he had just beaten him in the finals. And what the reason was, um, the buildup to the NBA finals, right, there's two things. One, the Blazers drafted Sam Bowie because they had Clyde Drexler. And they thought, well, he, you know, Michael Jordan's a very similar player to Clyde Drexler, so I would do that. So that's, that's flight number one. And then number two, the build up to the 92 finals, they try to pit it like, oh, Clyde Drexler, he's almost as good as Jordan. He probably would beat Michael Jordan if he was in a bigger market. Like there was this storyline that, you know, knowing what we know about Michael now, it's like, you know, slapping the face to him. It's like, it's like taking a baby and dipping it in teriyaki sauce and then hanging it in front of an angry Rottweiler, (laughs) right? Like what, like you can't do that. Like he's just kind of, he's just going to go nuts. And so beating Clyde Drexler in the finals wasn't enough for him. He had to humiliate him on the dream team. Like that's, that's what he was like. I mean, he was so competitive. He couldn't handle anyone getting a sniff of what he thought was his. So one of the overarching storylines, and then we'll kind of move into the second episode, which is more Pippin-based, but one of the, the overarching stories 
is really like Jerry Krause is a bad dude. I mean, it just does not paint him well. I mean, they uh, from just Jordan like blatantly ripping him, like like blasting him for being short and fat right to his face. Um, from Pippin, you know, screaming at him from the back of the bus. This guy was not not liked, but he, he's kind of a polarizing figure to discuss because you like him or not, he put this team together. He, well, he was he, he, he's simultaneously two things. He's the greatest GM. In the history of Chicago basketball, and the worst GM in the history of Chicago basketball, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. So he he put together the greatest two of the greatest teams, but he didn't not once, but twice. Because remember, he had to reload mm-hmm. in between three peaks, right? And so, you know what? People forget about how that team, when Jordan wasn't there, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like that was still a good team, right? That was. I mean, they they and they were. Don't forget, they were the phantom call away from going to the finals. Yeah. Though I don't, and and Scottie Pippen almost took them there, but. You know, he, like, think about all the hits he had. He didn't draft Jordan, right? But he drafted Horace Grant. He drafted Scottie Pippen. He traded Oakley for Cartwright. He brought in Steve Kerr. He brought in Craig Hodges. He drafted Stacey King. He drafted B.J. Armstrong. He brought in, he drafted Tony Kukoc. He brought in Dennis Rodman. I mean, this guy had a string of hits longer than the Beatles. So, feed his ego, and clearly he's got some kind of Napoleonic complex going on. But, you know, feed the ego. He's he's a two-time executive of the year in the NBA. Probably should have been a seven-time, you know, NBA executive yeah. of the year. Right? I mean, he was the greatest GM. I mean, he makes anything that anybody else was doing at the time. I mean, there have been GMs that have had success. But, I mean, that string of hits, I don't think, I don't think anybody came close to ever. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And not only is he not getting credit, but he's literally getting psychologically abused on a daily basis by Michael and Scotty. So I, he wanted to blow up and do it again, but like, why not? I mean, he's like, he probably thought he could, he was like, yeah. yes, you know, I mean, his rebuilds, first of all, one of his rebuilds was derailed by Jason Williams, you know, riding his, his motorcycle into a tree. So that wasn't really his fault. And he made a bad move. He could have had, he could have rebuilt with Elton Brand and Tyson Chandler. And he ended up trading Brand so he could draft Eddie Curry, which probably wasn't a great move. Right. But if he, if he would have had, a core of Tyson Chandler, Elton Brand, and Jay Williams, right? That could have been a team that competed for years. So he really only made one bad move in his rebuild. One bad move. And it set him back 10 years. And then the Bulls didn't get back on track until they had the Kirk Heinrich, Ben Gordon, Andres Nocioni teams, right? I mean, that was, it took him, you know, but still, like, within 10 years, he he was back there. So he was, so, you know, and he died in 2015 or 17 or something like that. So he can't defend himself. So he was a brilliant GM. He just made the worst indefensible decision in the history of sports, which was breaking up the greatest team ever. I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's like, no matter how you cut it, no matter everything great he did, and, and he was a scout in baseball and he became a scout in basketball, essentially, as that GM, no matter how you cut it. <laughs> Everything he did, he was probably the greatest GM of all time. He was the worst GM ever for doing that, and that's and that's that's going to be his legacy. Yeah, all of the wins are are not are worth nothing when you when you're willing like and and kind of like he the ego that's that's what we see right. It's just like one of those things where it's like if and that's the problem with a lot of these guys who succeed and who do really well and who have a lot of money. It's like they they want the credit. If he was able to just take a step back, who knows how long? Because Scotty still had some years left in the tank, you know. And we saw that Michael wasn't done right then either, you know. Uh, uh, who who knows? It's always like a what if question to ask. But but the well, second the, the Bill yeah, Simmons the Bill Simmons Ryan Russillo show that I think both of us listened to, 
they were talking about. They definitely win in 99. Oh, right? yeah, a absolutely. Strike, a strike-shortened season. So you give those guys fresh legs, only 50 regular season games. They definitely win. Absolutely. There's no two ways about it if they bring them back. So they, they definitely win number seven. Number eight is the only one where you could kind of question, like, all right, are they stretching it too far? But, I mean, you, you could have brought them back for another round. I mean, there's, there's no two ways about that. And I will, and as much as Scotty Pippen hated him, don't forget that contract that, that Scotty got paid on, on in Houston, that was a sign and trade. So Jerry Cross paid him and then sent him to Houston. He made mm-hmm. sure he got his money. So as much as Scottie Pippen hated Jerry Krause, he signed like a hundred million. He made a hundred million dollars off. He of ended that. up making more money than than Michael, right? I think right. it was when it was all said and done. Yeah, right. And so I mean, so people, I, I'm, don't get me wrong. It's the most indefensible thing ever done in the history of sport, breaking up that game. But for all of it, I mean, if you really wanted to be objective about it, he did way more good than that. <laughs> way more. I mean, he was yeah. the best. He was the best GM that the, the game of basketball had ever seen. So then episode two is is a lot more um, on, on Scotty And we get to find out a little bit about Scotty Which, I mean, his story this, this is a lot of stuff that I didn't know You know, this is the stuff that's incredible Like, he was a walk-on on the basketball team He wasn't even, like, a scholarship player He was, like, he got He made his way onto the team And then got drafted And the fact that they trade up to draft him Coming out of, like, an NAIA school Is just incredible Like, another, like, feather in the hat, uh, in the hat of Kraus But he comes in immediately, and it doesn't take long for Michael to realize like this is going to be his running mate. And I thought to me like that was one of the things that really that really stood out is that you don't hear Michael really praise a lot of other people often. You know, he just doesn't. That's just not in his being. Like you said, he's so competitive. He's the greatest. He did it recently with Kobe after Kobe passed, and and he did it with Scotty. And he he bas- he just said, you know, I thought one of the things that really stood out to me was. When anyone mentions Michael Jordan, they should be mentioning Scottie Pippen too, because I don't do any of this without him. So there was like a, a love and a respect between those two. Um, unlike any relationship, like very many relationships that we see, he he really really knew what Scottie could do for him on the basketball court. They were like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, right? I mean, they just they they danced a beautiful dance that no one else could ever do. They're the greatest tandem in, in history. And absolutely, Scottie Pippen. So Michael, like the difference between Michael and everybody else was that in all aspects of the game, he was better than everybody else, right? He was everyone who was the best scorer. He was the best dunker, right? He probably had the best jump shot. He absolutely had the best first step. He was probably the best ball handler. Okay, he was the best defender in the league. Yep. Um, and Scottie Pippen was the second best at all those things on the team. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. like you go down the list, and probably in the last three or three years, he was the better defender. He had the the tougher defensive assignments, right? Mm-hmm. He because, you know, Michael needed to save his legs a little bit to score, right? So, so Scotty was, you know, the, the better defender in the, in the, the second three-peat. And the way that they played the, the lockdown defense, that, that perimeter defense, there's, there's nothing like it in the league today, and there's never been anything like the it. The length of Scotty, too, out I mean, there, just yeah, Right, I mean, they were, they, it was impossible. And, and the, what, what compounded it, so you have this perimeter defense, so good luck getting through it. And then when you don't get through it, they're on the break, right? And you've got if anybody else leads the break, right? Usually it was Scotty leading the break, but if anybody else leads the break, they've got Michael on one wing, Scotty on the other, and you could have your entire team down there. You're not going to stop. So it was just it was just a force of just will that you couldn't ever comprehend getting getting through. And it was so intimidating that you know a lot of those teams in that in that seventy two win season in ninety six. They just they scared a lot of teams. I mean, they yeah, beat a it lot was of teams. it was mental. They beat you before you even the game started. 
Yeah, they just scared the hell out of him. They people like, they didn't want to see him. They're like, it's gonna be awful. It's and, amazing to think about too, like how he was so good at that time. But Pippen would have been even maybe better in this era with like the switchable. You know how they're playing with no bigs. He could like guard all five positions. He would be like incredible right now. Right. I mean, he was he was you know a shorter but better version of Anthony Davis. He was yeah. a point guard who grew into a forward. I mean, he yep. played and he, and he was the, he created the position. I mean, there's no such thing as a point forward before Scottie Pippen. I mean, he created the position. And we find out, you know. um, it's weird. It's kind of like a. It was like a perfect storm. I think the reason why he ends up taking that really crappy contract early on, you know, after the '91 season, is because it's it's a lot of it had to do with his upbringing and where he came from. We found out, you know, he they didn't have a lot of money. I think one of his brothers said we didn't we we didn't realize we were poor. You know, we were having fun, but we were poor. And then there were multiple people in his household that were handicapped, that were in wheelchairs. I think he yeah. probably he probably had this like. Man, I could lose all of this at any moment. I want to get the most security that I possibly can right now. So for someone like that, I mean, when you're when you're a 21, 22 year old kid, you you don't know what you know what what's the difference between a hundred million and eighteen million, right? Like you, you, you well, there's no that's di- part of it. I think I think a bigger part of it, and and people like to say, well, he signed a dumb contract. I mean, he wasn't just smart enough. Nobody could predict what the NBA was going to do. Yes, nobody, nobody could predict that. You know, Michael Jordan was going to be making $2 million in 1991 and $36 million in 1998. No one could predict that. So, I mean, Michael was the reason for that. But, you know, that, I mean, the, and, and he signed it before the 92 Olympics. So, so yeah. you know, the 92 Olympics were everything that the Dream Team was. They globalized the NBA. And, you know, how many Hall of Fame European players said the first time they saw Michael Jordan, they knew they wanted to play in the NBA, right? I mean, that's like, like Dirk Nowitzki, you know, I mean, all like all the way down the list, every, every Eastern European player, you know, Tony Parker, all of them, that's, you know, that they globalized the NBA. And so that was part of the reason salaries skyrocketed, right? The nineties, the nineties the bulls and the dream team. So no one could predict that. So he probably knew he was signing a not great contract, but he opted for security of having that seven years versus five um, because he figured, you know, two and a half million years, another $5 million. Sure. Right? Instead of thinking I'm giving up, Five to seven million a year by signing those last couple of years. Yeah, you're, right? this is so. a great point. Like we're we are able to so easily look back on it. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And say, man, but th- it was a different time. There wasn't all that money floating around at that point. Right. Like it, it was, it would have been so hard to project what you're saying. Like that Michael is going to like lead this new NBA like rejuvenation, you know, to where the NBA is like really popular again and becoming like another, you know, like right up on the top level of sports. Because at this time. There was no like the NFL isn't the beast that we know now, you know it was like the NBA and and MLB around this time and even MLB had some of the issues with the steroids and with with things like that that people were a little turned off on. So this was like really like bread and butter time early nineties for the NBA to be center stage and Michael Jordan. I mean he was the biggest like we hear it's all it's all easy. We we got to see some hear some of the fun stories and stuff about him, but I mean the going to France we got to see he was the most recognizable not. Athlete person on the planet Right and the other thing is NBA in the 90s was the biggest sport On the planet it was yes. bigger than like and people Like kids these days will think we're, we're lying to them But it was so much larger than the NFL Right I mean Way I remember bigger. Yeah oh yeah I, I could I if there Was if the Bulls were playing on a Monday night I wouldn't even know who was playing Monday night football Right or as opposed to like well, four years wrestling, ago Wrestling Monday night would football get higher Monday night the, football Ratings yeah wrestling yeah. on Monday night Raw Would get higher football ratings than uh, than Monday night football would 
Yeah. Yeah. And like, and you know, now like, you know, the world series game three is against Monday night football, Monday night football outdraws it. Right. Yeah. But the draft back in the nineties. Yeah. 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 But, but back in the nineties, the NBA was the biggest sport, bigger in baseball, bigger in football, bigger than anything. Right. And it was, it wasn't even close. Like it wasn't even close. We, we got to hear some of the uh, the really fun stories that we've heard throughout, like Jordan not making his varsity basketball team as a sophomore, which is always crazy to think about because he, he wasn't quite big enough yet. And they said that that next year he really grew up and he blossomed. And then yeah, I played varsity basketball as a sophomore. Right. I know. I got pulled up to, to varsity f- soccer as a freshman. It was just amazing. And then we got the uh, the, the Dean Smith, um, I think, which was one of my favorite uh, quotes throughout the whole thing. And he said, like, nobody – could ever turn it on and turn it off like Jordan, and he never turned it off. Never, never turned it off. Yeah, I mean, just, it's just it, and the, the, it's so funny because you look at all the people, you forget, like you forget he played with Brad, you know, played with Brad Doherty in college, and you forget like Roy Williams was on Dean Smith's that staff at the time. Like you, it, they bring all these faces. You're like, oh yeah, like you forget, like and you forget like that first Bulls team. I didn't do anything on a documentary but that first bulls team was on was like dave corzine and orlando woolridge was that was like the cornerstone of the franchise at the time i mean it was just like you just kind of forget like all these old faces that he came across and it really wasn't that long of a time right think about it it was 1984 to 98 so that's 14 years like i've been at tvg for 19 years yeah i mean that's like is it 14 years and just think about how different the world was and how different like the different player we saw, the rookie who was just kind of like this bright-eyed kid coming out of North Carolina. What did he say that when he was in his like one of the first um, interviews? He was like, "Well, yeah, I guess maybe I can help uh, help improve this team a little bit." He was so like humble and so different than the Jordan we would know, even just six, eight months, a year later. Yeah, and then he just, but he just, he was an alpha male, and it was just like, you know, those those puppy teeth were sharp, but they grew out quick, man. You know, they I mean, they like it was. And it was just, it's just wild to see it. And it was, and it's wild for me to see it all again. Cause like I said, these are not like hard memories for me to pull up. Like these are like, these are like the easiest part of my time to recall or part of my life to recall. It's, it's unbelievable when you see, you know, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird after not having played with, like, with him that long, immediately just saying like, this guy is it. Like we knew, we knew there was trouble. We knew that, that this guy was going to be coming for us as soon as they packed it up. Like th- those are the kind of things where, it's the peers around you, right? And I don't think, um, you know, everybody loves to have the LeBron-Jordan debates, which are stupid, in my opinion. You know what I mean? It's like they're different players. They're different everything. But I think we watch some of this stuff. It's just hard to ever compare. Not LeBron, not Kobe, like anybody to this guy. He was just, he, he didn't seem like a person. He seemed like a superhero, right? right? He wasn't right. even like a real man. Well, and the thing that I would say is that the difference between Michael and you know any other player you could say is the best ever right whether it's you know LeBron or, or Kobe for the modern day or whether you want to you know throw like some old old time players in there like you know Kareem or, or whatnot <clears throat> or you know Larry it's the not how he played what he did all those things the separation between him and the second best guy in the NBA was that's the it. largest you've ever seen that's like there was like I don't know, like, who was the second best player? I mean, Michael Jordan should have won the MVP every year he was in the league, yeah. period. And like, it was cute. It was cute they gave it to Charles that year, but he destroyed him in the final, right? And it was, it was nice they gave it to Carl Malone, but he destroyed him in the final. Like, there was, there was no said question. At, at one point where it's like, I don't know if there's any person who's ever done anything as well as he played basketball. Like, we're not even talking about him being the best. We're talking about, like, somebody that's a cook 
like anything that you do, he literally had it mastered. And as you mentioned, he's so much better than the person that was chasing him. It was incredible that a guy like that was able to find things to continue to motivate himself, to continue to put a chip on his shoulder throughout. Because it could have been really easy for someone like that to get bored and just be like, oh, you know what? I've already won three. I'm so much better than all the than everyone else here. This really isn't even that much of a challenge. It's kind of what happened with, when he went to baseball a little bit. But he just he kept continuing to find ways to like to dig. You said this too. He he didn't just want to beat you. He wanted to destroy you. Yeah, and he, he, you needed to bow down at the altar of Michael, right? And and the only apt comparisons that we've seen um, to Michael Jordan are not in basketball, right? It's no. Babe Ruth, it's Ali. Muhammad Ali, yep. For, and, and maybe and, Tiger. I, 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 and Tiger and, and people, you know, trying to find like historical perspective on Tiger. I'll say this, you know, and, I, and whether he ever catches Jack or not, um, I think it's irrelevant. The the golf that Tiger Woods played between 1996 and 2008 is the greatest stretch of golf ever played in mankind. And you'll never see it again. Yep. You will never see someone dominate the game like that ever again. Well, and so was- in that respect, I think you can you can put him on that level with a Michael Jordan and a Muhammad Ali and a Babe Ruth, um, but there was, I mean, but that's it. I mean, that's your list, right? You can't have that kind of a guy in, I mean, Wayne Gretzky in hockey, but even at the end of Wayne's career, there was discussion, well, is, is Mario better? And then, you know, like... You and it know, was more, it's more than even, like, it's it's the eyeballs and the interest that they brought in, too. It's, you know, not only are they great, but it's like, we look at someone like Mike Trout, he's a great baseball player, but nobody knows who he is and very few people care, you know? And it's like... I, Everybody cared about Michael Jordan About basketball It was like the same And that was kind of like With Tiger too I watched I don't watch a whole lot of golf anymore I'm, I'm a, I like golf It's fine I, I, But when Tiger's playing I was watching with my dad Every Sunday On that final I, round Like we were You we had cared, to watch You know Yeah and, and that's what Michael Jordan was Is There's just so few Icons that we'll ever get to see um, and Nobody ever comparable uh, again I mean, e- e- the shoes was amazing too It's like, hey, if you if you sell this amount of shoes um, In a year, we'll get our investment in And he like tripled that in like a couple months <laughs> You know, it was just right, I mean, like, I mean, the whole thing with the The whole thing with the Jumpman brand was Like at some point, Nike couldn't pay him <laughs> They're like, yeah. we're just gonna give you your own brand And you're gonna have equity in it Because we can't There's no amount of like sponsoring a guy And putting him on posters and in commercials that's worth what he is. So Nike just, I mean, so Mike basically said, all right, we're, you, this is your brand and you have a major equity in it. And that can't like, I, I can't have you on payroll anymore. <laughs> we just have yeah, to, yeah. to another way to go about this, right? You're way too valuable to this whole operation. Mike, this was a blast. I'm uh, I'm going to have to try to uh, talk you into coming back with me in the next couple of weeks so we can continue to recap these. Maybe in two weeks we can go through the next four. Or, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure something out because I love – I, I knew talking to you about this. Like it's different to look back on something versus living it. You know, you lived this. You went through yeah. all of this. You know, I can read, you know – Articles and I can rewatch the old games and I can look back, but like I was, I wasn't. This would be like you know the Shaq Kobe era for me, uh, you know what right. this was. For and, me. They, and even even the title, they're like, oh, the Last Dance. And they gave like this explanation of it. I'm like, no, they, they were, yeah, that's what they were calling it. Like this isn't a shocking title. We all knew that. Like yeah. they were calling it the Last Dance in interviews. They were yeah, it was the Last Dance. And yeah, I remember that. Like and people were like, oh, the Last Dance. Like that's really. Oh. I'm like, it's not great. Like Bill, that's when he started. And in the first episode, <laughs> they tell the story about it. But like, yes, we all knew that. That's what they were calling it. This is this is common knowledge. This is not like a 
like some like you know interesting little factoid, right? Like, no, we all knew that. We saw that. It was the last day. I've got it. So we got two episodes down. We're gonna they're gonna continue to show uh, two episodes every Sunday coming for the next few weeks. I believe there are gonna be four more parts of uh, four more weekends of this still to come. Mike Joyce, uh, thank you very much. Let the folks know what's your schedule like the next couple of days. When can we see you on TVG? Uh, I'm so I'm doing. <clears throat> Morning show on Thursday. I think this is probably what it's going to be like. The schedule's come out really late. Morning show on Thursday, so 9.30 to 12.30 Pacific. And then I do these doubles on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I do the lead-in, because we're doing shows on NBC Sports now. So I do the lead-in okay. in NBC Sports from 11 to 1. And then I do the last hour of NBC Sports with my man Weaver. So it's like me and Weaver nice. just jump in to just throw a monkey wrench into the fine working machine works so of whatever they have going on during the previous four hours. And just, I mean, I'm sure you, with your uh, with your low sal roots, have to be pretty pretty pumped at what's been going on over there the last couple of weeks. Holy crap! With those pools, man, three hundred forty thousand dollars for the early pick four. I know, and like, I got to work on my game. Like, I don't, I'm like trying to fire on a pick four. I'm like, I don't even know half these guys. Like, what yeah. I mean, it used to be, I I could fire blind. Just give me a programmer and over yeah. and I feel like I had a shot because I was there every night. But yeah, I gotta I gotta get I gotta dive back in. They are reaping the benefits as some of the other tracks in California are closed. Hopefully, um, that will change very soon. Mike, man, this was a blast. It was fun to catch up with you, and then it was cool to focus on the uh, the last dance stuff for the last uh, half an hour or so. I'll shoot you a message. Maybe we can link up again in the next few weeks. Take care of the baby. Tell Dina I said hello. Love you, brother. Thanks for doing this. I love you, Dina. Thanks, man. Okay, have a nice one. That was uh, Mike Joyce from TVG. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from one of our sponsors, but don't go anywhere. Just wanted to remind you about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Sarah Candle Company. Visit sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off of your entire purchase. These are all natural soy wax candle. They Candles, they burn longer. They are better for you than the candles out there that have that traditional paraffin wax. Uh, I know the people from this company personally. I've grown up with them my whole life. They love candles and the goal was to, to have an affordable candle that everyone can and enjoy use that promo code GINO my favorite is fresh roses the fresh roses scent is awesome if you're a horse racing fan they got del mar in there you ever want to know what del mar smells like but you couldn't make it out there order your candle right now from sarah candle company the website c e r a candles.com sarah candles.com promo code GINO for 10% off your purchase big thanks to mike joyce uh, as you can see he is just great insight it's when you lived through, you know, an era like that, um, you just remember a lot of little things, and he obviously uh, is a great source to talk to about the uh, the the Bulls and uh, and that era of Chicago Bulls basketball. Let's jump into talk about some horse racing for Thursday. Get your Gulfstream Park past performances out, and let's start in race number one. I just think I think if you're gonna play some kind of early pick fives, uh, I would just single the seven here. This barn has been really cold as of late, actually. Uh, but the blinkers come off coming out of a race that's just a lot better, uh, probably the quickest in here. So this is a good spot to maybe just uh, you know single in if you're playing an early pick five and move on. I do expect this horse to get played. I mean, on paper she should be like seven to five, but we do have to say the barn has been cold and they're you know a, a barn that gets bet a lot. So you know obviously tread lightly with the, their recent uh, their recent numbers, but. That doesn't usually bother me because it kind of swings back and forth. Uh, let's go to race number two, and um, yeah, you know this one would be pretty kind of, uh, I would be kind of captain obvious here. 
no like real strong opinions to me the horses uh they look like the the six Cabrino had a slow start and then closed really well the five water wizard obviously makes a lot of sense the one bust out lady on the cutback you know if she works out the trip here uh, I'd be willing to uh, to put a few bucks on her on top but I'm a little concerned about you know from the rail um, can she get the lead? If she gets the lead from the rail cutting back, she could be really, really tough to pass. And she knows the drill. Another one who wouldn't really shock me. Uh, so nothing real outside the box there. I would just be one, six, five, and seven. In the third race, um, I like the six in here, Make a Mint, who was uh, last raced, uh, was last seen on December the 11th and was close up after a good start and then was kind of outrun a little bit, but closed really nicely for third and that was you know going five furlongs on the turf I don't think she necessarily has to be as far back in in there and there's just not a ton in this race right like she she's just done actually some decent work when many in here have not the one uh, dot dot dash with the blinks on Gonna go second off the bench. Obviously, I think uh, a race w- uh, she needed last time out. She could show a little more speed from the inside and maybe be uh, be pretty tough in here from the rail, flashing some speed. The four Princess Avril, another one who will uh, likely be forwardly placed in here. We'll see what she's got first time on the grass. There's just not a lot in this race, so that's why I'd lean to the the six, uh, make a mint, and I would uh, I'd go six one four in here. In the fourth. The, the four is interesting. Um, I like the fact that time to two-step has shown a little improvement when stretched out. She showed, you know, kind of like a sit off the pace a little bit last time out and then moved early to the lead. She she did what she was supposed to do as the heavy favorite that day. Every right to improve and step forward with the race under her belt now. And she's, gonna, she's not going to be too far out of it. She's going to just get a good trip. The six in here... A painter fest for just an awesome barn off the claim. The one Samoa who should be flashing some speed down from the inside. The three stormy boss who's going to be forwardly placed in here and uh, just missed in a similar spot. I'd be four six one three with the four on top. Um, in the fifth race, this to me is you know the seven Valdelobo who's looking for a third consecutive win. Um, but has had to go to the bench, you know, after each of them. But she she shouldn't be too far out of it early on. Dermot should be right in the mix. And what I like about Dermot, too, I think she's a little bit better when she can sit, but she's shown that she has some speed. She's also shown that she can come from behind and um, and, and show, like, different tactics in her some, some of her last couple of races when you go back and check them out. Going to have to improve a little bit on um, willing to speed, though. So to me, those are the three horses in there, six Seven and eight in the sixth race. Untitled is just going to be a really heavy fair. It's a great spot um, for him as a, a Florida bred getting back in uh, against state breds after you know finishing second in the Gotham. Well, last we saw him, if you're looking to try to beat him, you know it would probably be winking at the dude who you know goes into a. A solid barn and and was a, a recent winner last time out, but I mean this is just a really good spot for Untitled in the seventh race. 
have 8, 11, 12, 9 in here. If you're looking to play some of the exotics, I think home base is a price that's worthy of in, of some inclusion. Uh, Dr. Edgar makes a lot of sense. Morocco uh, uh, obviously fig, uh, figures in here. So um, nothing too crazy, nothing out, really like outside the box, just pretty logical. Um, it's in uh, the last couple races where I have a, a little more of a strong opinion. So I think the six Little Miss Hot Mess in race number eight is a must use in a horse we should uh, put a few bucks on to win. Really big fan of the the last out victory, and uh, I actually think the seven furlongs will be perfect. She can sit a little bit off the pace. She kind of was a little more forced from the inside last time out, and I don't, I don't expect her to be right on the lead. She has the ability to go to the front, but she she's probably a little better when she's just sitting right off. So I, I'm six two. Money never sleeps. Uh, Topo Grigio, Bird Map, uh, obvious contenders. But uh, let's have the six. I kind of have the six and the two as the uh, the top tier in here. In the seventh race, the one Temple going to be very tough. Um, just doesn't really run bad races. But the 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 horse I'm gonna gonna try to key in on in this race is is the number seven Rise the Guy, who's gonna go. Uh, Third start of the year now, and I think he's going to be ready for his absolute best. He takes the blinkers off um, on February the 22nd. He really never got a shot to run. He had nowhere to go late and down on the inside um, when he really wanted to get going. He was just traveling really, really well, and it was just super sneaky trouble. He was behind Largent, who came back to win. And he was right up on the lead, pressing in the two-path until late, and, and he faded. I think... He, he's kind of a similar one I didn't love the kind of pressing from the two path I much would have rather see him either try to clear off or take back a little bit He was kind of caught in between So let's give him another shot in here Rise the guy, number 7 in race number 9 Let's use along with the one Temple And uh, and then to close things out in race number 10 uh, The three Sweet Blossom She's not a win machine uh, on the turf But who here is in like really good Recent form This is a great spot for her She Completely missed the break Put a line through that last start and that was on the dirt And then go back and look at some of the turf form Right, Last time we saw her in the grass was against the 30 Claimers so that was you know, and That's not even a bad race against Tougher And the races at Tampa are the ones that Really would, would fit nicely in here Sweet Blossom uh, The number 5 Trilby looks like the one to beat The 7 Retro Street should be in the mix And uh, tough to leave out Sweet story So uh, 3, 5, 7, 10 there You know, If you want to play any kind of late exotics Kind of talk you through those um, In the first race, number 7 Calentito will probably be a, a horse to key in on In the early exotics The third race, don't forget about the 6 Make a Mint Fourth race, the number 4 Time the 2 step Fifth, the number seven, Valdelobo. Sixth, or eighth race, the number six, Little Miss Hot Mess. Ninth race, the seven, Rise of the Guy. And the tenth, the three, Sweet Blossom. Make sure to include those in your exotics. Let's get you. Uh, let's get you over to Oaklawn for Thursday, April the twenty-third, and the plays will start in race number three. For me, the, the the play here is the six moonshine moment. I think if you toss the last out race going long in the slop the, against better, key off the two back race against the Arkansas Maiden Bread Special Weights, now you get the drop in class. He should show his best today. Uh, that February race, uh, 
He had a slow start. He was in some traffic. He was in tight. He was shuffled from the inside. He took back. He was like 10 off of it. He angled around. He was a really nice, sustained rally up for third. If you get an effort similar to that, that's going to win this race. A moonshine moment. Big, big shot in here. The 10 is probably the one to beat. Um, that's Thornish who tried tougher last time out Drops back down And if you just key off the races at this level uh, He's going to be really tough in here But the 6 is the key Let's make a win wager if we can get anything around 7-2, to 3-1 to one or so In race number 4 I like the 3 Full of run I think the sprint race will have sharpened up his speed a little bit He's going to stretch back out for his second start at Oaklawn Park if you look back a few starts, um, you know, the races that he comes out of aren't bad. Even that race back at Hawthorne, he was behind a horse who had won six in a row, Slick Silver. Full of full of run, was completely outrun early on last time out, but he settled. He was about five lengths off. He was four wide. He got up to within a couple lengths, uh, but he was really wide at the top of the lane. He won the battle for second. He was chasing a three to five winner that got a perfect forwardly, uh, forwardly placed trip in a small field. And that was Drina Star second win in a row. I think it's going to be a really good spot for full of run. The 10 moment, probably the one to beat in here. Maybe we hook them up in some of the uh, the exotics there. And then race number five is a fun one. I mean, you can make cases for many in here. I'll start with Assad, the 12, who ran into some traffic when he was down on the inside. He was traveling best. He just he couldn't really... Re-rally after that He's he's kind of a grinding type This drop should help I, I just don't want to see him too far back Because I don't know if he's going to be the type of horse Who can come rolling He needs to be like mid-pack to um, You know, too forwardly placed So that way he can just kind of keep keep grinding The one Urbanite He was in the slop last out Now he's going to put two starts together He's going to drop, he saves ground He adds the blinkers in here uh, Big, big shot for Urbanite, what's wrong with the seven squared straight? Who is going to be a first-time gelding now? Gets back to the main track after facing, uh, you know, Calbred Maiden specials. Comes out to Oaklawn. The eight Mo and Go logical contender. You can just put a line through his race in the slop last time out and be very forgiving about that one. The form prior to that would really fit against this group of thirty claimers. How about the four, Marquis Thunder, who's a first-time gelding in a major pace factor in here? The five, Dias, is probably some speed on the stretch out. A barn that's really good with second out runners, and there's not a ton of other pace in here. Wouldn't be shocked if this one maybe showed a little speed stretching out. This is a fun race. I have it 12-1, 7845. With 12, Assad on top. And then getting to race number six, which is the start of your late pick four. The two hidden promise. I mean, why can't he come right back and win this race? Uh, I, I liked his last effort. There are no monsters in here. Who really scares you? The 10. Exultation. He comes out of a live race. He was fit. The seventh place finisher came back to win... Uh, uh, 30 non 2 aggressivity. Uh, Exultation was 4 deep. He was in between. He just never seemed like he was getting over the sloppy racetrack all that well. 
The six young Phillip was a, a most recent winner at Sam Houston. It took him a while to break his maiden, but then he finally put it all together. He crushed, and he should be right up on the lead in here. Sometimes it just takes horses like that a, a while to get it figured out, and then you see them rattle off two or three wins in a row. The eleven Blues Gold, who you know ran into, he was a debut winner, and then he hooked a sloppy racetrack and a sloppy racetrack, and so you can easily be forgiving about both of those. If you put a line through those, I mean, we're playing him off of that debut win. The three, Alex's strike. What's wrong with this one? Slight drop in class. You have a horse who hasn't been beaten much uh, as of late. Botero just beaten by the, the 16 non-twos. It's a very similar spot. Another cool race to, to sink your teeth into and to, to kick off that late pick four. And we move to race number race number seven, and I have uh, two horses as kind of a top tier in here, and that's the six whiskey echo. First, he he had to hesitate um, early, and he, he was able to work his way up to fourth. But then he got he was up on the inside. He got that inside shuffle, and he came on again in the two path. He uh, angled outside in between And then he had to duck back to the inside He was not far out of second It was a, a pretty good effort Last time out from the inside Now he gets off the rail He can show a lot more speed than that Don't be shocked if this one's like really close to Or right on the engine But I think sitting sitting just off Would serve him best in here Because there's a, a couple other speeds The 11 facilitator I mean He just has been sharp as of late He had a really wide trip On February the 28th If you can excuse him for that effort When he was actually favored against many of these You're left with a couple Really nice efforts I think he ran into some traffic last time out Not the smoothest of trips Facilitators must use In all of the exotics The Below them uh, The seven stay home would be no shock Second off the bench Kind of ran into a uh, sloppy racetrack Last time out Sometimes it's just You become like A merry-go-round races And that was from the rail Gets off the inside The five courting a kiss Just a repeat of the The two-back race Wins this The three Spokane Eagle Has really, really good speed The eight cold truth Beat You know, some of these Two starts back and then he ran into a sloppy racetrack last time out. Like, you can be forgiving for a lot of these horses on the sloppy tracks. Even the horses that have wins over a sloppy track, just because a sloppy track becomes, like, such a, a variable sometimes. Like, um, and not necessarily every sloppy track is the same, right? I had 6-11 as, like, my top horses, and then seven five three eight below them. In race number 8 at Oakland, uh, we'll go with the 4-kiss more. I mean... She just looks like the one to catch and beat in here. On April the 3rd, she was three deep going into the turn, then it was in the two-path pressing, moved to the lead, put away the other speeds, opened up three, but just could not hold off uh, the winner. Uh, was still a clear-cut second that day. She beat a couple of today's rivals last time out. The concern is that this could be pushing how far she wants to go. I don't know if she really wants to go this far. But 
she has every right to have a major advantage. I mean, she's won it a mile, but this is probably pushing it for her. The one road test, looking for three in a row, just in excellent form right now. And uh, the number 10. Resurrection Road, who, you know, comes in from Mahoning. But she was competitive at Keeneland a couple starts back. She's been competitive at Churchill Downs. Um, she's going to take a, a little a little step forward. She's going to be a little fitter with that race under her belt last time out. I think she's drawn well in here to have some options, right? See what the, what the pace inside of her is going to do. Go if they have to sit off. She has a little speed, so I don't know if she'll get. She shouldn't be outrunning here against this group. Let's go four one ten, with the four hopefully having the uh, the lone speed advantage. To close things out, I wouldn't be shocked if the two gets bet really hard uh, in here. Seattle slang. She was really impressive in her first start as a three year old. And she's got a nice pedigree too So her first couple starts She was going long And those were at two Her dam is a grade one winner Was a multiple graded stakes winner And her dam actually got better with racing So maybe she's just kind of like her mama And she's going to get a little bit Continue to get a little bit better as she's gotten older So her three races at two They weren't bad Nothing wrong with them But she goes to the bench on November the 22nd After a 5th place finish And she actually comes out of a couple productive She was racing in some like strong Maiden special weight races at Churchill So no racing between November And then March the 14th at Fairgrounds Comes back at Fairgrounds Slow away She draws the inside She's saving ground, she's 5th, she's about 5 lengths off And then going into the turn She moves up the rail Really, uh, She's about 5 off going into the turn she, she settles, and then she starts to move up really, really nicely. She gets all the way up to second. She angles to the two-path. She angles around uh, the pace setter. And then she kind of has to wait in between horses for a minute because she gets kind of in tight. I think she still was like figuring things out a little bit. She waits. She puts away the rival early in the stretch and then just draws off. And she beat older last time out. And... This, this is a great, great spot for her Seattle slang Absolutely love her Maybe a horse you can kind of single in on On the back end of the exotics The one lucky Betty Off that big maiden uh, maiden win Once she stretched out She should be flashing speed from the inside I would use her in some exotics And then Majine, who's a multiple winner Who, she's going to need a trip out there But, you know, you're facing a lot of horses Who have just that one victory and that's a decided advantage for a horse who has shown um, the ability to, to have that kind of trip that you want That can sit just off the pace Now she's going to stretch out, so is she going to be right on the lead going a mile in the 16th? We'll see if that if she has that same running style or is she just going to be you know pushing the pace and, and maybe hooked a little wide out there She's kind of a wild card, but I think she has some ability um, going long for the first time That's Majin there on the outside Two one eleven there at Oaklawn. So in the third race, maybe a pick three at Oaklawn Park. A six ten with three ten with one four five seven eight twelve uh, seven eight twelve. Six ten with three ten with one four five seven eight twelve. In the sixth race, if you're playing any late pick fours, you know, um, I thought the two on the back end the, in race number nine we could single. 
The sixth race looks like a real spread out kind of race. The seventh race kind of feels the same. And then uh, maybe it's one four ten with two to close things out. So maybe it's spread out, spread out, one four ten with two. Um, make sure race number three, the six moonshine moment. The fourth race, the three full of run. Fifth race, the twelve Assad. Seventh race, the six whiskey echo. Eighth race, the four kiss more. Ninth race, the two Seattle slang. That is your Thursday horse racing. Let's hear from one of our sponsors, and then we'll uh, we'll jump right into Friday. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, and I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are going to be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full-service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. They, everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com, or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. Let's talk some Friday racing, April the 24th. Get your Gulfstream Park past performances out. Let's get to race number one. And I, I played Fayez last time, and he got crossed over on going into the first turn, and then he was kind of down inside. He did not have the smoothest of journeys. He actually ran really well. I think he's probably a horse to use in some exotics, but I prefer the nine in here first in time. He was squeezed out of a spot early on. He ends up three deep. He has to take up, and he has to lose his momentum. He closed well late, and he was not far out of second that day and not far behind Fayez. Let's put the nine on top of the seven, and then the the three, Grand Champagne, perhaps uh, stretching out, trying the grass. This one can uh, show a little speed in here. Nine, seven, three. If we can get like five to two 
on first in line. Maybe we'll play a, a win wager on the nine. In race number two, the Fort Hartling does look like the one to beat. Was in tight early, really wanted to go, got shuffled from the inside. I think it's just a toss and expect to see her much closer early on today and maybe Asaya is getting a little more aggressive with her. But the the horse I'm actually going to really look at and make sure to use in all your, if you really pick fives and everything, is the six boss wife. Put a line through her last race, which was on the grass, right? Okay, she doesn't like the grass. Easy excuse. So go through her career. Her first couple races, I mean, what did she do wrong? She's third in her debut. She comes back and she runs fourth. She comes back again and finishes fourth. Those races are going seven, six and a half, and six. Then she stretches out to a mile, and she takes a noticeable step forward, move, moving up lengths on February the 23rd, and then March the 14th when she breaks her maiden. I mean, this has been a different... She's always had some ability, but then she's really improved... Since she stretched out, I think because people see that really bad race last time out on the grass, they'll kind of forget a little bit about her. But who the hell in this race scares you? Right? Like, it's not... This is the type of race where it's primed to take a shot with a horse here. If she's anything around 10 to 1, she's worthy of a win wager. That's boss, wife, let's use with the number 4, Hartling in some of your early exotics. Third race, I mean, you can legitimately make a case for Manny in here. Um, the two, the Barboza first-time starters, the two, Quint, and Akita. I mean, this barn is really good with first-timers. They're 19 for their last 102. They're three for their last eight. Just kind of solid overall. And both of these horses have uh, decent pedigrees. The dam was 0-4 for Grand at, uh, at Akita, but the three fulls are all multiple winners. And then go to the other Barboza first-timer, Grand Michelle, the dam actually won her debut at Gulfstream Park. She, uh, Grand Michelle, has a couple siblings. They're both winners for a barn whose first-time starter statistics are just the same here. So, I wouldn't be shocked to see either one of those horses run really well. The three Paneria, I wouldn't try to take a shot against her. She sat three, four deep. She was um, right on the lead early in the stretch, and. You know, that was her first start since October. She should be much, much fitter today. Even the seven cozy dreams. I just, I didn't love her last start. I, I wanted to see more fight from her. But she proved two starts back, and she's getting reunited with that joggy, that she can sit off the pace and be very competitive against this group. She's burned money in her last two starts, but I mean, she wouldn't be a shock in here. So now we're already talking about... You know, the 5, the 3, the 2, the 6, and the 7 We're basically like Have turned have turned this race into what looks kind of like an all race I do think that I would have the 2, 3, and 5 As my top tier In race number 4 at Gulfstream The 5 wild about this gets off the rail And she was making her first start at 5 furlongs on the turf It was a really solid third She just missed second that day um, I'm expecting her to continue to, to improve. I think this is a good, good spot for her. Wild about this, we have on top the three. I'm praying for that. Exit's a really strong race. And if you just key off her two-back two race on February the 6th, she's going to be a major, major player in here. So I have the, the five and three is kind of the top two. Um, the six-horse cultivation, I think, is going to get a, a big jock upgrade today. Had some trouble last time out. When actually, you're beating favorite. And then Ball Road Angel, who adds the blinks for the big drop-in class. 
5-3-6-2. In race number 5, the two Tiger Bled's going to take a ton of money. Uh, he loves to win races, right? I'm I'm not against him. But if you want to use one other with Tiger Bled, um, throw in the 8 Coupe tries harder. He stumbled at the start. He got caught in between horses. He was loaded behind horses in early stretch. He just couldn't find anywhere to go. He tried to move in between. Nowhere to go. He ducked to the inside, but it was too late. Now he's going to go second start off the bench. And he catches a field that has you know at least a couple speed players in here. He should be able to get a nice trip. Coop tries harder. The number eight. We'll use with the two Tiger Blood. Um, below them, the four What's Inside was not far behind Tiger Blood in here. And if, you know, horses like uh, Frenchman Street and uh, Factorino and Sturgeon are able to put the pressure on Tiger Blood, then it's going to set up um, nicer today for a horse like What's Inside. And then the six, Frenchman Street, who has speed but can also sit off the pace if he has to. Eight, two, four, six. There, eight, two, four, six in race number five. Nothing. It I don't love a whole lot on the late part of the card, uh, except for one horse in race number eight, and that's the two secret stash. So the number two secret stash was a step slow in her last start. She settled in eighth, and then she got stuck inside behind horses. She had nowhere to go. She moved all the way up into contention at the top of the lane. It was a fine third. I just think that early trouble. Did her in and she wasn't able to Get into the position that she needed Before to, before she wanted to start her rally So Secret stash with the uh, the March race underneath her Should uh, improve today in here The two secret stash will make a win wager If we can get anything around like 3 to 1 or so So maybe an early pick 5 In here where we could do something like A single to 9 in race number 1 With a 4-6 with the all with two three five six with two four six eight, you play a different ticket where you go three seven nine with four six with two three five with two three five six with two eight. Horses to take a look at throughout the Friday, April twenty fourth card. Uh, first race, the number nine, first in line. Anything around five to two. The second race, the number six, boss wife. Anything around ten to one. The fourth race, the number five, wild about this. Maybe if we can get like seven to two, we'd play a win wager there. Fifth race, the number eight, Coop Tries Harder. If we can get five to one, we'd put a few bucks on Coop Tries Harder. And then in the eighth race, the number two, Secret Stash, anything around like three to one or so. That is Gulfstream Park for Friday. Let's get you over to Oaklawn Park for Friday. Oaklawn Park, Friday, April the 24th. Uh, I'm just going to have, uh, we'll, we'll talk about four horses throughout the card um, to take a look at. Move on to race number four. This will be the first of the plays. And I'm going to go to the number two here. Blunt Force. Just to- toss the races in the slop, right? Like, toss the February 6th race in the slop. Even the January-November races, like, they were fine. They're not bad. But if you just look at this horse's overall dirt form, like the, the one that we saw last time out at Delta on a fast main track, this is a really good spot for Blunt Force to sit a nice trip Let's use the number two. Blunt force pick a win wager if we can get anything around the seven to two or so. In race number five at Oaklawn, let's go with Gangly, the eight, who's coming out of some of the better races in here. I love his running style. 
He can sit just off the pace if need be. He was behind a real sharp one-two starts back. And even the, the horse he lost, who last time out was a, a highly regarded runner um, early on in his two-year-old career, he, he's just been facing much better uh, recently. So Gangly, let's use uh, Gangly in all exotics. We'll make a win wager on that one if we can get pick three to one or so. Let's get you to race number seven. And this is probably, of, uh, of all the horses at Oaklawn, the one I like best on Friday. This is Cavalry Charge, who was a third-place finisher at Fairgrounds last time out and has raced twice now in 2020 as a three-year-old. He was three deep in between horses, and he was pressing. He was right on the lead, but he was in tight, and then he had to take back. He lost momentum. He lost a few lengths. He ends up re-rallying, finishing a, a very nice third I think Cavalry Charge is right here with all of the best horses in this race. And let's make a, a, a win wager on this one if we can get anything around 7-2 to two or so on the 6 Cavalry Charge. In race number 8, this looks like a good spot for the 9 Julius, who just raced at Golden Gate. He kind of had a weird trip. He he got shuffled a little bit from the inside, and he was like right up on there, and then he got, you know, he had to take back a little bit. But it, it, even late, it didn't... He, he looked like he he still had maybe a little something left, but he kind of was wrapped up on because I don't think he, he was going to finish any better than fourth. He might have been able to get a little closer. The six furlongs feels like it should be a good trip for him because he has some speed, but he's actually shown that he can sit just off. And naturally, if he's up close in here, he could be tough late. So let's use the nine. Julius will make a win wager if we can get three to one on him, use him in all of your exotics so the horses at Oakland for Friday, April the 24th in the 4th race, the number 2, Blunt Force if we can get 7-2, to two, we'll make a win wager the 5th race, the 8, Gangly if we can get 3-1, to one. the 7th race the number 6, Cavalry Charge, if we can get 7-2 to two. and the 8th race, the number 9 Julius, if we can get 3-1 to one. We'll have another episode coming out with some uh, some Saturday, probably some Sunday racing for you. Uh, so uh, keep an eye on that one. That'll be coming out uh, in the next couple days, probably uh, early on Friday. WrestleMania recap time. It's time for WrestleMania 4. We get over to Atlantic City. We get over to WrestleMania 4, 1988. The big tournament. Macho man Randy Savage ends up walking out the champ. We go match by match with Jason Beam, with Danny Kovaloff. We talk about some of the fun uh, commentary. We share some of uh, the moments that we remember. We set up the whole show for you, give you everything that was happening in 1988 leading up to WrestleMania 4. Kick back and enjoy. And if, you, you know, if you're someone who loves, uh, loves wrestling, if you have the WWE Network, you can go throw this show on. And, uh, and watch it and then kind of follow along with us. So enjoy WrestleMania 4 recap. We go back in time again to talk old WrestleMania. We've been having a lot of fun. When the, there's no live sporting events going on right now. So we're going back in time and recapping old wrestling events. And definitely the, the older ones into the, like the late 80s, early 90s are more fun to go back on because it's real nostalgic and we can kind of laugh and have some uh, some fun talking about the matches and the commentary. And back with me for a second time, we talked about WrestleMania nine a couple weeks ago, and this was this was basically your choice WrestleMania. And we had to bring alongside to join us one of our good friends, uh, a fan of wrestling, uh, one of 
<laughs> we'll talk about this again. We had some funny interactions at TVG uh, back in the day. Danny K, Danny Kovalov, and Jason Beam. Thank you two for joining me today. Well, thanks, Gino. I'll go first. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> there we go. We, we're, I'm, I'm we're still, our three-man three commentary booth still is a little lacking chemistry, as we can see. So we're going to have to get better through the uh, through the, the broadcast. <laughs> well, you know, Gino, if, uh, I will say whenever I've had you know, the multiple people interviews, you gotta, you, you, you got to kind of pass the ball around. Yes, so, I will definitely uh, do you're that. Gonna, yeah. You're going to be our, uh, our Gary be Payton. you be yeah. our point guard. And, and you know, Danny will sit outside. I'll go to the hoop, and we'll, we'll get it done. We'll get the three, man. So, um, Danny K, what's up, man? Like, g- give us a little bit of your like your wrestling fandom here. Like, you've been a wrestling fan basically your whole life, right? Uh, m- most of my life, actually, right around the time I was starting to get into uh, wrestling, right around WrestleMania four, I- I- I'd say uh, you know s- the summer after that. And back in those days, there was no uh, there was no pay per view shows in the uh, Danny K household. So this was a frequent rental for me from Blockbuster. I remember. Uh, remember grabbing it off and being disappointed anytime someone had already checked it out. <laughs> and uh, it was that, uh, yeah, this was a marathon four hour show. So it was the two tape box. That set. was what we we were talking, Jason and I were talking about this last time too. And that was what, that was like one of the reasons why I love this show. And you know, Jason, like I think this show gets a bad rap overall because it's long. A lot of the matches aren't great, but I really love how they tell a story throughout the show. You know, it's it's like beginning, middle, end. We're seeing the ascent of Macho Man. We're like finishing up all this crazy stuff that's happened with Hogan and Andre over the last like year, year and a half. And like by the end of the show, Macho Man feels like a huge star. And you know, like a year before, he he, he was like a high upper mid Carter. This show did a hell of a lot for him. Yeah, the uh, what I like about the tournament is it, it makes it so identifiable with WrestleMania four. Like you can, mm-hmm. you know, you could tell me like, oh, remember what happened at WrestleMania sixteen? I'm like, okay, which one was that? Was that? Yeah, yeah. This one, that one. But if you say, oh, the tournament, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly where I was. Uh, similar to Danny, my my wrestling fandom started just about halfway between two and three. Uh, you know, and so I was three was like what hooked me and so the year leading up to four i mean i watched every saturday night uh, uh you know saturday night's main event every uh prime time i mean every show that was possible so like this was i i was living and dying but like i think i even filled out my own bracket in the wwf magazine <laughs> they used to have. this yeah this this was great and danny i mean the year leading up to this, like, this is the golden age of WWF. This is actually when they had these great, like, year-long storylines. Uh, Hogan and Andre started way back, you know, with their build-up to WrestleMania three, And then there was the whole, did Andre pin Hogan early in the match? And Jesse was pushing that narrative for a while that he thought Andre won the match. And then, as Jason kind of mentioned, there were Saturday Night's main events that helped build over the last year where Macho Man kind of turned... From a, a heel to a baby face, we got the mega powers forming. We got the and then Danny. I mean, it, with with the the two Hebners in the main event, you know, right before that, that's one of the greatest. Like, oh, what, Gino, you know, j- just tell me how much did they spend on the plastic <laughs> surgery, brother? <laughs> what was he paying him? Oh my! The, some of the Hogan promos we get to talk about it, uh, in this show are great. I mean, so this is like golden age, golden era. And you know what, like coming off of WrestleMania 3, WrestleMania 4 doesn't have the huge, you know, 90,000 plus people, but it was it was kind of a, a really big deal for WWF at the time because Donald Trump paid for both WrestleMania 4 and WrestleMania 5 in that 
He gave them a flat fee Like what happens with boxing matches Or with like concerts a lot of the times They pay a flat fee Because they know that the people will come into their um, their casino And bet And it was funny like the weeks leading up to this If you were walking around in Atlantic City You would hear like Macho Man and Hulk Hogan's voices over the loudspeakers Like oh yeah Come to Wrestlemania Pick up your tickets Yeah You know like they were all over the place And uh and they made a ton of money off of this show um, And like we said, everybody was buying this show now As pay-per-view was becoming in, There was in more and more homes each and every year So, like, this is, you know, golden age, golden era um, Danny was mentioning the double referee angle With Earl and Dave Hebner So what we have at this show Is there's no WWF champion And this was the first and the only time, actually, in WrestleMania That the show has started without a champ And so we're going to go through this entire show and it's a 14-man bracket uh, in a tournament to determine who's going to be your champ. The reason why it's 14, they gave Andre and Hogan a bye, and they meet in the first match of the second round because they were involved in the title, and you know they, they had their claims to it. So, um, I mean, when you get the start of the show, we get things started. It's a lot of, a lot of gambling, uh, Jason, kind of all throughout the night, and then we have... Uh, uh, Gladys Knight There's just so much about this show that screams 80s From you know like the costumes to some of the music Like the Strike Force theme when they come out And and it's just it's really really fun I love walking, uh, watching back It's nostalgic but this is Like we see this Mania This is definitely different than Mania 3 And um, it's got a different look It's got a different feel to it And we get things started with Gorilla and with Jesse As we mentioned I think if not one of, if not the best, like top two or three of any commentary team, right, Jason? I, uh, I, I, my first note on the uh, the whole thing, you know, is, uh, is this is Pete Gorilla and Jesse. I thought three and four were their two best. Yep. Uh, WrestleManias. I know they did, you know, the uh, two that was all split up, but they did uh, five and six. But I thought these two were particularly strong for a number of reasons. But uh, yeah. It, and you know Euchre, I'm a big Euchre fan. Like I think he's, his performance in Major League is unbelievably great. He was a little over the top uh, in this one. I think I, I think he got a little too comfortable. The whole Vanna thing, was, yeah. Like it was funny for a second, but then it's like, okay, buddy, calm down. So, Danny K, what are what are some of your like big picture thoughts on this show? Um, just just going back to uh, Gorilla and Jesse. I, I know WrestleMania four gets a lot of flack, uh, you know, match quality wise nowadays, but just for rewatchability's sake, just on, on commentary alone, it doesn't matter what the matches are. I could watch this show anytime, you know, good matches, great story uh, with the tournament from start to finish is, is an absolute bonus for me. Uh, yeah. Well, watching the uh, Bob Euchre thing back, uh, you know, years and years later, it's, it's kind of creepy in, in retrospect, but uh, yeah, I watched this with uh, Mrs. Danny K the other night and uh, yep. Yeah, she was she was kind of into it at the, at the end. She was excited. Hey, Bob finally meets Vanna. You know, spoiler. So yeah. and, and and then has a seizure. Know, they, 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 they threaded the whole show together. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? He, I think Jason, you hit it. He was really good in Mania Three, and he still yeah. has some good some good spots in here. Yeah, yeah. But he totally like misses the punchline on the whole like Vance White thing at the end, which is yeah, like yeah. the whole build up to everything, and he kind of blows it. But he he definitely was a really good marriage with wrestling. Like he and pro wrestling were like perfect for each other. Of all the celebrities there, he that ever came through, he seemed like he was really enjoying it, having a fun time with it. Like the him and the Jesse stuff back and forth was always really fun. And so we actually get him um, right off the bat when we kick things off. It's uh, he's actually at the commentary 
table with Gorilla and Jesse, and we get set for the battle royal here. Mean Gene welcomes them, welcomes us in, introduces Gladys Knight. She sings them. Um, Kind of like an America the Beautiful like compilation. It was like My Country Tis of Thee was in there too at one point, I think. And um she um does a good job. I mean, she's a big star at this point too. No pips though, right? No pips with with, with Gladys we were Knight. Pipless, yeah. Pip pip pipless, minus the pips. Um and uh, they set up the 14 man tournament. They kind of take us through what's gonna happen through the show, and the battle royal participants come out. Hart Foundation, which is I think always kind of cool when you see like the first person out in 1988, it's Bret Hart. You know, yeah. that's kind of always shows you they were high on him with this match and the way this match ends when he's still able to kind of you know, look good afterwards. So it's the Heart Foundation, the Young Stallion, Sika, Danny Davis, Dangerous Danny Davis, the Killer Bees, Bad News Brown, Sam Houston, the Rougeau Brothers, Ron Bass, JYD, the Bolsheviks, Harley Race, George the Animal Steel, Hillbilly Jim, Ken Patera, and they have a massive trophy for the Battle Royal. And as a kid, I love the Battle Royals, right? You just like, it's exciting, it's fun, you get to see a bunch of everyone. You watch some of these old Battle Royals back, they're not great in the ring. They still hadn't really figured out. All they do is punch. They they haven't figured out any like finishes, any great finishes or great ways to eliminate anyone. Um, And, uh, but we get some great commentary right away, like, uh, you know, the Pearl Harbor job a couple times from, uh, from from Pier 6 Brawl. Pier 6 Brawl, (laughs) Pearl Harbor job. Basically, um, you, okay, so Euchre's back, and he, he right away he says this was the first time he ever got his option renewed, and um, he says it's like the final day of cut down day, and he thinks Billy Martin should be in there somewhere. He actually was in WrestleMania uh, back yeah, in well. uh, one, I believe, and uh, George yeah. the Animal won't get in the ring. Um, they talk about Vanna White a little bit, and that's when we kind of get the start of Euchre's infatuation um, with Vanna. And then, and then Jason, we get Gorilla who mentions this is the most dangerous match of all. He always says this, and yeah. it just seemed really funny because he said it at a time when there was nothing happening in the ring, yeah. <laughs> like literally well, and, nothing. <laughs> and, and I would assume that he would have been great at battle royals because yeah, in was. his time he was the biggest guy. Like <laughs> that was you know because back in the Andre days, I mean Andre never lost the battle royals, and so I would. Just, uh, Gorilla was uh, was great at him as well, and uh, he mentions that Hillbilly Jim was one of the favorites, and that was a that was Euchre's pick. But we're down to three, Danny K, and it's JYD, Brett, and Bad News, and this is kind of a fun ending. Like this is definitely something memorable. I remember the two of them teaming up, um, and you get Jesse and, and Gorilla talking about how they're going to split the purse. Split the purse <laughs> what are they going to do with the trophy though? But this is six a fun ending. Bad News, six months with Brett. Yeah. <laughs> and and then, the, uh, as soon as he gets the thought out of his mouth, ghetto buster partnerships over. Of, of course, it's going to happen. Uh, first time I saw this, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't wise on it, and I was I was I was a little disappointed. They they were friends. How could they do that? Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, set up a yeah set set bread set bread up good. Bad, yeah, we got we got a baby face shirt. Like this was a. Accomplished its goal in you know, getting the guys they wanted to get over over here. Yeah, they did, and you know, throughout the show, there are definitely spots where um, the crowd isn't isn't really hot. In in a lot of like the lesser matches with maybe some of the the wrestlers they don't know as well, because that's kind of one of the problems about when you go to a casino show is that the tickets are papered. So you're not necessarily getting these hardcore wrestling fans that are all throughout the the audience. You're getting a lot of people that the casinos are like giving tickets away to come into their casino and gamble. So it's kind of a different, you know, audience. They're getting up for, you know, the, the spot like this when Brett turns at the end and and then Brett breaks the trophy and he and he throws it away and, and yeah, we get a, a Bret Hart babyface turn very soon and then I think after 
not long after this show, you know, for the next maybe eight years, Brett is, you know, a baby face and he becomes, you know, the face of the company for a few years too. So you could already see early on, they were always very, uh, very high on Brett. Um, Euchre leaves just to, uh, Euchre leaves to go to see Vanna. And then we get a great little, uh, Jesse, uh, Euchre, um, interaction here. He says, hey, Euchre, are you after her vowels? And he says, nah, just a letter or two, <laughs> which was, which was a lot of fun. Um, you know, can, uh, I give you my, can I give you my favorite random line from Jesse at the please, end? Please, please. When uh, they're talking about, you know, wh- you know how good this is for bad news. And he goes, Jesse goes, more important for bad news. This is going to jump him in the WWF standings. <laughs> and all I could think about was, where were these standings? Yeah. Like, were those, were those in the magazine? Because the magazine was like how how you like kind of stayed in touch, right? It was, yep. you know, looking back, it's just obviously a total PR magazine. But uh, I, I was trying. I remember if there was actual standings, like, you know, do they have honky at the top of the intercontinental standings and, and what have you. But, uh, you know, between purse money and standings, like, th- that makes me laugh looking back now. And, uh, and yeah, then kind of begins, like, Euchre's quest throughout the night to find Vanna. We, he was, his quest the year before was Moolah, but Moolah. now he's, uh, <laughs> he's Moolahing up in the world. He's yeah. definitely. He's definitely moving up. And uh, and then we get the start of the tournament. So it's Robin Leach from Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous. Uh, he does the tournament intro. And uh, he gives his, like, uh, what is it, champagne wishes and caviar dreams little uh, little line. And, Doesn't uh, count without the accent, Gina. Champagne wishes and caviar dreams. Uh, and, no uh, why, whatever yeah. that means. Um, so the tournament entrants are um, one side of the bracket. Hulk and Andre have a bye. They're in round two. It's... Uh, Duggan versus DiBiase, uh, Don Morocco versus Dino Bravo, and then the other side of the bracket, it's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Greg the Hammer, Macho Man, Butch Reed, Bam Bam Bigelow, One Man Gang, and Jake the Snake, Rick Rude. Uh, so we get Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the Million Dollar Man out first, and the Million Dollar Man is hot right now as a heel. He's He hasn't been in the WWF for that long, but he's immediately like skyrocketed to uh, up towards the main event, and basically this whole show is kind of built around him trying to buy the title from Andre, which... Andre won the title at that main event show. He then immediately surrendered it to DiBiase. DiBiase actually uh, wears the belt out. He gets he, Andre puts the belt around him, and he defended it at, in a couple house shows. And he like on the road a little bit before they end up stripping him, and then they put the title up for grabs in this tournament. So he's in round one against Hacksaw, and Hacksaw's hot man. He is like a he's definitely always one that's over with the crowd. This is. You know, like the what we're gonna see throughout a lot of this show is we mentioned quick matches. It's a tournament. They are always they're harping on the fact that the first round is only 15 minutes, so um, they have to be real quick. They got to try to win very quickly. Hacksaw comes out firing in, in this. He and then you know, in, in most of the Million Dollar Man's matches, really for his whole time in the WWF, he's Weasley. He's using cheating tactics, you know, Virgil's helping him or IRS or Sherry at one point through, you know, through his run. But um, but he gets the win here because Andre it helps him cheat and Andre pulls the leg, trips up Hacksaw, um, you know, nothing special. But this kind of tells the story throughout the night. And actually, we got a we got a little uh, Hacksaw and Andre feud following this. So what were your thoughts on this uh, this first match, Jason? Uh, you know, I was thinking about it from the lens of me being a kid when I was watching it. I didn't know who was like good at wrestling and who yeah. was bad. Like yeah. I didn't, I didn't know who was a good worker. You know, to me, Hacksaw was the same, you know, I mean, you knew Macho jumped around, but like you didn't, it was all about good guy versus bad guy mm-hmm. when you're eight years old, at least for me it was. And so 
Um, but Hackshaw, like he totally connected with the crowd. Like he had a, you know, he would get pops. Like even you, you see him when they introduce him like Hall of Fame night and stuff. Like he gets, you know, the whole thing. And, you know, he had people going. And like, I, I love the way Jesse describes it. He goes, you got DiBiase, a classical wrestler, well-schooled. And then you got Duggan, who's a brawler. <laughs> and Jesse, like, Jesse, like in his commentary, at least hates Duggan. Like he talked so much crap. If if you like, he would always talk about how stupid he was, or <laughs> you know how 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 bad of a wrestler he was, and uh, you know it, it's just it, it's it's a kind of a funny storyline that whole time period. I almost, I honestly wonder if Hacksaw was like, dude, why are you burying me every everything? <laughs> the other thing with Andre is like Andre ends up being a huge part of this mania. He's like a focal part, beginning, middle, and end, and uh, and yet he's obviously only in the ring for that one match. Yeah, because he just can't do much. So they do a yeah. good job of. Getting but he's still most, Andre the ch- Yeah, getting the oh, most yeah. out of like yeah. out of the spectacle that he is. Danny, I think at one point um he uh, he does like a wrestling move and, and just to compliment what Jason was saying, like he says, Oh my god, did he do a, did he do, yeah. did Duggan just do a wrestling move? But th- this was fun. You know, they they went on a quick like uh, I would say of a lot of the matches that I throughout the night I didn't like, but I didn't have a problem with this one. This one was kind of fun and there was a lot going on for the the four or five minutes. You know, I mean, DiBiase, you just hated, hated, hated him back then. Duggan, charisma like crazy. And, uh, you know, a couple of years before, JR would be calling, uh, you know, it a slobber knocker. But, you know, Hacksaw would always give you a bit of a slobber knocker, even if his uh, technical proficiency wasn't there. It got Andre over as, uh, you know, DiBiase's stooge for the night. And just just a fun, quick little match that did what it needed to do. Yeah, and and then we're on... uh... To uh, I guess we're we're back to me and Gene talking to Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Jason. We talked about this with Brutus last week. Man, this is like 80, 87 when he turned face from like there to you know ninety two ninety three, which we did WrestleMania nine. Brutus the Barber Beefcake is over, man. Yeah. He's like a great mid card intercontinental like challenger for the title. The fans love him. He doesn't have like we were just like we're talking about with Duggan. Like you look back and you're like, okay, he's not like someone who's gonna have to throw a 20 minute classic out there. But his matches are always like the crowd's really into it. You know, you're gonna get the, the spots where he's kind of selling a little. He's gonna come back and get his you know his his big uh, spot and, and he's going to try to cut someone's hair. It's kind of similar to Hacksaw when he brings out the two by four. You're just like a good middle of the card baby face that the people really always were behind. The hair bit was great. Like it was. He, he would get, I mean, I, 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 like I told the story at WrestleMania when we did the nine show, like he was my, my favorite for a little while. And I mean, the, when he would cut those jobbers hair, like I'm assuming for them, it was like a total honor, but um, you know, when, when it, we'll talk about it when we get to the match, but like, that was such a, a, a great gimmick for that time. Like obviously now it'd be kind of corny and Brutus's uh, dressing is just horrendous. Like looking back, <laughs> but I mean, he looks, he looks like a not drugged out member of Motley Crue. <laughs> Danny, what are your Brutus? Yeah, what are your Brutus thoughts? I, I mean, yeah, when, when he's up against someone like Honky, of course you want to see Honky get his hair cut. But uh, you know, just week to week on superstars, if he's cutting some jobbers here, that's kind of a heel move, right? <laughs> we those just uh, you know get their get their butts kicked and uh, you know get their hair cut for the for their efforts. Yeah, well, they got like, fifty bucks too. And like Hogan is so heel in this show too, you know, like with like just using the chair right in front of the referee, using the chair in the in the final. It's funny, like how. Just looking back at like they we we 
cheer who they tell us is supposed to be the good guys, not necessarily based on what they do, because yeah, Hogan yeah. was very heelish, you know, a lot of the time. But we're like, it's Hogan, it's okay, you know. As long as Gorilla told us it was okay, we were we were fine with it. Um, then we're on to uh, another match in the first round: Dino Bravo with Frenchie Martin uh, and Don Morocco with Superstar Billy Graham. Don Morocco recently turned back uh, babyface, and he was aligned with Superstar Billy Graham. Um, what is definitely another thing you notice about this show: every match. There's at least one person in the corner of one of the wrestlers in every match, in all 16 matches throughout the night. And in a lot of matches, there are two, just like this. Yeah. So the managers, the valet, the people um, uh, that are accompanying someone to the ring. Uh, Jesse said he taught superstar Billy Graham everything he knows. So that when means. He copied everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that means. Oh, that, was, that was a great. Uh... Morocco knows everything. That means Morocco was basically taught by Jesse. Um, this was just kind of one of those power matches. We get the infamous double clothesline spot. It goes 453. Uh, Morocco wins by a, a DQ here as like Dino Bravo pulled the ref in front of uh, in front of him. Uh, what did you think about this one, Jason? I loved the uh, they, they didn't. I think if I remember right, the announcers didn't pick up that he did that to the ref. Yeah, so yeah, when they, they did, did the slow mo. Right. Jesse was in denial when they did the slow mo. You kind of you know you really see it kind of because it did happen <laughs> it did. Uh, pretty quick. I thought that was really really great use of replay. But yeah, I mean you know it, this was certainly a let's just move the tournament along kind of match and mm-hmm. uh, and you know and the Rock got through. I think I think does. Did Dino have a uh, dark side of the ring coming up about yes. his murder? Just yeah. total side uh, thing. I think I think that's literally like this week. It's coming yeah, up. He's like a Canadian mafia thing, right? Yeah, yeah. He was like, uh, I think he was. He got into like the illegal cigarette business or something he, like that. Yeah, he was married to someone, right? And then he was like uh, smuggling cigarettes in. I mean, it, it happened, which is really uh, sad. He wrestles. I believe he wrestles the Texas Tornado in WrestleMania Seven. And then a year later, by that time, they're both gone, uh, yeah. which is like so, like one of those really sad things when you look back at a lot of the, the, those matches. And so uh, they, they actually, I think these guys actually had a match later this year at SummerSlam too, like a, like a rematch. But um, this kind of big power, guys, uh, as we move along. Um, then we get Bob Euchre talking to Jimmy Hart in the Honky Tonk backstage. Uh, Honky Tonk's the IC champ. They're just uh, pumping up the, the match Forget later on. Forget about why You want to talk to the Honky Tonk man. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Danny, too, you know, a lot of the reason why this show um, changed around a lot because the initial plans for the show were for Ted DiBiase to win the belt. But what ended up happening at that main event show, which was like two months before this, Macho Man was supposed to beat Honky Tonk for the IC title. Honky Tonk refused, so they have to change everything up. So it's funny, like, they call an audible here, so Honky Tonk's still the champ, but it won't be long because he's going to get crushed by an Ultimate Warrior, Warrior at SummerSlam. But Honky was a great heel, huh, Danny? I think it worked out well for all involved. Honky, nuclear heel, and just so entertaining to watch in his prime. And you wanted to see him get his comeuppance, and he never, ever, ever did. You know, by hook or by crook, he was going to hold on to that belt, uh, you know, no, no matter who he was up against. And you look back at Brutus Beefcake, and it just breaks my brain that he was never Intercontinental Champion. It really does, yeah. Like, I know he was supposed to get it at SummerSlam instead of Warrior, but uh, I think he got injured. Then two years later, he was supposed to get it at SummerSlam 90, but there was the uh, parasailing accident, but... Yeah, he feels like a guy who should have spent six, seven months as Intercontinental Champion and never never got the chance. We'll, uh, we'll get to that match again in just a little bit. Um, up next, this is the Greg Valentine versus Ricky Steamboat match in the tournament. And what's crazy about the way the tournament was set up, 
basically, when you look at the bracket, it's Ricky the Dragon against Greg the Hammer, and then right below that, it's Macho Man versus Butch Reed. And this is coming off of WrestleMania 3, where they have that unbelievable classic match that steals the show. So when everybody's looking at the bracket, they're just assuming that they're both going to win their matches, and we're going to get this awesome rematch where we, you know, we get Steamboat and Savage again in this tournament. And um, and I'd say this match was actually, I mean, this match was good. It wasn't long. It's um, it's Valentine and Steamboat. They go at it real quick. I mean, you see how good Ricky is, even in just like a really short match like this. Um, a couple of things that I uh that I noticed. Well, first out, he brings his son down um to the ring, which was the little Rick, dragon, uh, little dragon, which is Richie Steamboat. He was actually wrestling for a while uh in FCW under the name Richie Steamboat, and a gorilla gives um. The excellence of execution line that became Brett Brett Hart's uh, you know kind of like moniker years later, um, and then and then Jason, we, I know that we've talked about this before. Anytime the hammer is in the ring, we're gonna get that gorilla line about how the hammer needs to get warmed up, and it's yeah, gonna take yeah. him fifteen minutes, right? You don't, you <laughs> have like, fifteen minutes. There's advantage in this yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, not fifteen minutes. Yeah, because he looks he looks so cardiovascularly fit. The hammer. Yeah. Yeah, and then Danny, they were talking a lot about um, um, uh, later on in the in the the macho Valentine, which we'll get to a lot about the elbows here. But uh, you know, Valentine was like a good, he was a good worker throughout this time. He was someone that was IC t- champ for a while. You could put him in the ring, I think, with anyone on on, e- on either side. He wasn't going to cut you much of a promo, but he was always a guy that was good. I mean, I I thought this was one of the better matches of the night. It went about nine minutes, and it was. Um, Ricky hits his, cro- his flying cross body off the top rope. The hammer rolls him through, grabs the tights, covers him. He gets the win at nine twelve. Pretty big upset at this time. I think it was the uh, they kind. I think they kind of figured they had to have some kind of an upset early on, and uh, I thought this was maybe the one to do it. But yeah, it, taking it back to WrestleMania three, like kind of a fall from grace for Steamboat from right. last. I mean, from literally being like the the number two high point. Uh, I know. I know it was the better. Match than Hulk Andre, but it was not the high point of that WrestleMania. And but to be the number two one, and then to go, you know, to go out like this, uh, I, I do feel like we should shout out Steamboat too. In light of the Michael Jordan documentary, it's going on. Everybody's been freaking out. Everybody's yeah. freaking out about how they uh, they always play that Alan, Alan Parsons Project song, uh, Serious. And uh, th- that was I, I always thought of. I go, oh, they got the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat song. To me, it's not the yeah. Bulls song; it's the yeah. Steamboat song. Danny, what do you think? Um, I. I... Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Ricky Steamboat also uh, on his way out of the WWF around this time? Soon, not long, because he's in the NWA soon, and then he has those really good matches with Flair. And there was something weird going on with... That explains like, the burial. Yeah, yeah, there was something weird going on with like him and his wife, um, too. Bonnie. Like After they had the kid, there was there was something going on. Um, I remember where he was like not around a whole lot, so... Yeah, it just it was unfortunate that he wasn't able to capitalize on that WrestleMania three momentum, uh, as you mentioned, um, Jason. Because he uh, was over as hell. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it, this, I, I understand what they were doing because I think this this night was about Savage, and I think they were a little bit worried about hey, if we put Savage and Steamboat in the ring together, that that fan is going to be the crowd's going to be split. You know, there's going to be a ton of Steamboat fans, and you know, Macho's recently just a babyface. I think they wanted, yeah, I think they just knew, like, if you look at how Macho's booked and who he faces throughout the night, there was never an opportunity that he was not going to get cheered in every one of those matches and be like looked at as the guy that the that the crowd really was behind. So, yeah, this was this is a little unfortunate that we didn't get to see more from uh, from Steamboat here. Um, But I thought this was, you know, definitely one of the the better matches. uh, 
of the evening. Um, a couple other things. <laughs> Jesse says something about uh, Barry Blaustein in California likes the steamboat here. And then this is when they got into this, the discussion of the uh, external octopital protuberance. And he's like, what the, what the hell did you just say, girl? <laughs> and he says, the back of the head. And they had some fun with that one, uh, that one for a, a little bit. So uh, a, a good night. And uh, they show Donald Trump at ringside and Gorilla, what an individual <laughs> His uh, uh, Hair still wasn't quite the hair That we know today uh, for, uh, for the Preds um, Then we get uh, Mean Gene backstage with the British Bulldogs And Coco Beware They're talking about how uh, Matilda the dog Is the certified weasel hunter And uh, they have a six man tag later on With uh, Bobby the uh, With these three against the Islanders And Bobby the Brain So um, I mean not too much here. This is kind of just like a, a little basic promo to set up their match for later on. Let's go to uh, next tournament match. We got uh, Butch Reed versus Macho Man. So here we go, Macho Man for the first time. And the one thing that I really thought was was cool that Jesse, you could tell that he was he loved Macho Man from Macho Man's heel days. You know, he was always a big Macho Man guy. He was pushing him, and so he had a hard time um, rooting against the Macho Man throughout this show. You know, he he he'd said right here, you know. I've always been a Macho Man guy, you know, uh, before any of you. And Gurley even said true. So this was quick. Um, Jason, this was just like get Randy out there the first time, um, a good heel to get him over, a uh, strong heel. And we didn't get a whole lot from from Reed in the WWF. He did a lot better work before and after he came to the WWF. And um, this was his first of four matches in the night. What was cool is that in all four of the matches, him and Elizabeth have uh, the different uh, ring attire as they come on out. So, uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, uh, Savage versus Reed? Yeah, I, uh, I all I can think about when I watch Butch Reed, my dad, when I was a little kid, I, Butch Reed used to do promos, and he had a little bit of a Muhammad Ali, you know, kind of cocky, arrogant, and he would kiss his biceps, he would flex his muscles, and then kiss his biceps. And my dad and his buddies used to they they. They'd get drunk at their poker game, and I'd be watching wrestling, and my dad would have me come over and do the Butch Reed impression for them, and they would crack up laughing. You know, I'd be like, I got the 22-inch arms and the 22-inch neck, and then he starts kissing <laughs> the, the biceps. And so that, that's, my, that's my one Butch Reed story. Other than that, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's, I, I'm, I, I am a big Slick fan, though, so anytime Slick shows up, I'm in. You wouldn't buy a car from Slick? <laughs> <laughs> What did you think He's about this? He's been downtown idea? Detroit all night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think Randy Savage, uh, great in it. Butch Reed, uh, just kind of never, uh, never, never was into him. Not, uh, not a lot to, uh, not a lot to say about him. Yep. Um, and then at the end of the match, Jesse, you know, he was talking about how he he thought, you know, if you had to pick between Slick and Elizabeth as a manager, he would prefer Slick. But uh, Butch Reed kind of um, the the finish is set up when he's kind of distracted by Elizabeth. And then Jesse, for one of the few times I can ever remember him saying he I stand corrected, you know, uh, he, he said that maybe Elizabeth is the better manager and uh, maybe she does know what she's doing here, which is very rare. You didn't ever hear like Jesse or Bobby say that they were wrong, which I thought, I thought was kind of interesting. Um, so we get backstage, uh, Jesse, uh, Bob Euchre continues to talk to trash about Jesse. They're talking to Vanna white. Um, uh, and it's Bobby Heenan and the Islanders who are back there. Um, and so basically the whole story of this match is like Bobby, the brain versus the dog, right? Jason. Yeah. <laughs> That which I don't know, like that that whole situation was I thought kind of corny, but uh, Brain's outfit was was great, and those are two really good tag teams too. I don't think it, you know, because it was a six man, but to to get Bobby in there, you know, you got he's basically just kind of goes and squats. 
Josh is what guy that's already down, and I don't know that whole, that whole. There, there's a couple spots in this pay per view, and the the next one I believe is is uh, Rude and uh, uh, Jake the Snake. Like I, I usually skip those a because I know it's a draw, so what yep. am, there's no payoff if after you know what happens, and it's like I don't. It, it, this pay-per-view does drag in a few spots and like for me a 15 minute match between two guys that I actually like and it's expected just, it, more out of it, yeah. yeah it's always it's always a fast forward to me because I know Hulk and Andre are coming up too or, or war I think it's they do warrior and Hercules and then Hulk and Andre right yeah yeah so so Danny we get we get this the big man uh quick quick little big man schmoz match oh, yeah. here which is uh, which is the one man gang and uh, and Bam Bam the one man gang with Slick Bam Bam with Oliver Humperdinck they were they were pretty high on Bam Bam um, around this point he had like a really big push at Survivor Series '87 when he was on the Hulk team um, and uh, and you could tell they liked him and he was always kind of trying to be the big man who could fly around and and do kind of cartwheels and and roll around here but. This was like a really sloppy match. This only ended up going 256. And then we had a weird count out. So, I mean, this was definitely not a great match, Danny. Didn't need to go longer than 256. And, right. uh, I hated to see Bam Bam out in the first round. I, I, I loved him. And it was it was a sight to see uh, you know, 390 pounds from Asbury Park, New Jersey, just uh, rolling and uh, cartwheeling around the ring. I thought, uh, you know, he was always uh, one of the more entertaining big mans they've had in the sport. Uh, one man gang goes over and uh, he's weird looking, but what was up with Oliver Humperdinck's look? He's uh, straight out of Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. It's like a mix of Tiny Tim and yeah, he's he's got a whole lot of things going on. You're right. He was like the guy the guy who lets you into the Wizard of Oz, you know, at the door who's letting you in. That's what he reminded me of. There's a great Why call. didn't you say so? <laughs> oh, a horse of a different color. <laughs> so that's a great call, Danny K. This is going to bring us up to um, my favorite part of the show, uh, th- this Hulk Hogan promo that we get uh, coming up, which is just unbelievable. I went and found this full promo, um, r- really the end part of it. So uh, he's talking about, he's doing the back, he's talking with me and Gene, and he's basically like setting up everything that's happened with uh, with Andre over the last year. The first part of it's pretty basic, you know, uh, all my Hulkamaniacs, we're going to feel it, you know, he's going through it. And, and then the la- the last part, he says, yes, but if you look into their eyes, man, have you seen the fear in all those little hulksters? They realize that when I get Andre the Giant cinched up in the launch position, when I slam him through the Trump Plaza, brother, from New York down to Tampa, Florida, the fault line is going to break off. And as Andre the Giant falls into the ocean, as my next two opponents fall to the ocean floor and I pit them, so will Donald Trump and all the Hulkamaniacs. Now it gets weird. But as Donald Trump hangs on to the top of the Trump Plaza with his family under his other arm, as they sink to the bottom of the sea tank, God, Donald Trump's a whole Hulkamaniac. He'll know enough to let go of his materialistic possessions, hang on to the wife and kid, dog paddle with his life all the way to safety. But Donald, if something happens, if you run out of gas and all those little Hulkamaniacs, just hang on to the largest back in the world and I'll dog paddle us. Backstroke all of us to safety. You know, you better you better enter in an, uh, an applause sound effect. Yeah, that. I, I gotta think that the Hulkster was taking his vitamins before that. <laughs> I, I my my favorite part that I'm so glad you did was the but Donald, like when he just stops on a dime and stares at the camera. But Donald, if all of a sudden, oh man, he did. Yeah. That, that is an all timer professional wrestling promo. If you've never yeah. seen it before. 
go onto YouTube and just watch it in its original glory. With the with the backstroke motion too, when he's doing the he backstrokes out of the promo off stage. He backstrokes right out. It's just hilarious. I mean, this was one of my all time favorite Hulk Hogan promos. I was I, I kind of forgot that it was in this show, and then I was so excited. Unlike WrestleMania Nine, no racism. In. No, no, you're you're Come right. On. We didn't get the racism from Hulk, which is already a, a plus. But I have get... I have one noted racist comment later in the we show. Got, I was gonna say we get some Chico <laughs> Santana a little later on that we get to talk about. No doubt about it. Um, yeah, up next, which Jason, you kind of alluded to this a minute ago. This was a, a total bummer here. Um, this next match is Rick Rude versus uh, Jake the Snake, and you know you look on paper. I love these two guys. They're they're great. But they have a match that goes 15 minutes at the time limit draw, and there has to have, I mean, it felt like 25 minutes, and it was there was at least five minutes of this match where Rick Rude had Jake in a chin lock. I mean, this was so slow. I wonder what the reasoning, I mean, I think it was just like the start of their feud, and a feud sparked out of this, but these two guys could have gotten so much more out of this. Yeah, it's just, uh, like I said, I, I feel like part of the reason I skip it and don't is just because, like I said, I know the ending and the big one's coming up after that. And so, um, but yeah, it's just, I, I, I did what, when we were kind of doing our, my, I did two watches leading up to this one a couple weeks ago and one last night. And, uh, I did watch it last night, but it was, yeah, it's just, it's just not their best work, but it, you know, what's their motivation? They know they're, uh, yeah. They know they're going out ski, so mm-hmm. you know, yeah. who, know, who knows? I mean, but as you said, they're both clearly so capable of uh, of more. But it, but it, I don't know. It was just it, it was kind of a lousy spot, I think, in general. Better, better, in quicker ways. They could have got where they were going. Yeah. Over a fifteen minute draw. You know, could have had a Jake win with the DQ and then Rude. It's he almost like hates him after. Go ahead, Danny. Sorry. Well, no, I was just gonna say it's almost like they wanted to have a draw somewhere on there, and this was the shortest t- time period because you know they have they have the DQs, they have a count out. I mean, they kind of have a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah actually, I, didn't, I didn't like two draws on the show either. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe getting a little uh, two buys. Uh, yeah, the, the, getting ahead the other of buys. I mean, and as we look back to um, this show, could have been like so much tighter if it was just eight. Instead of that 14, you know, if it was just an eight person bracket. Um, but they wanted to do some of their things with Hogan and Andre. And, get guys paydays too. Yeah, they wanted to get some of these other guys on the shows. I mean, between the this tournament and the and the battle royal, there were a ton of guys on these shows. There were actually there was actually a boring chant, um, which you didn't hear all that often. Like you didn't hear like chants from the crowd, you know, like like snarky, smart ass chants from the crowd in the WWF all that often at this point. But um we got yeah, a Hogan just, chant later too. Yeah, we did. We did we, yeah. there was uh just you know a little bit disappointing here on that one. So uh, up next, we have a uh, Mean Gene uh, backstage with Vanna White and the tournament brackets. Um, he asks her about Bob Euchre. She says, "Who?" And uh, she makes her predictions. Well, she she was Jay, like she was okay in here. Um, we we saw in the first, I guess, really like ten years, and in particular the first like four. Um, WrestleMania was real, real celebrity heavy, and yeah. Vanna White was a pretty hot celebrity at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, Mean Gene, I think, is great. He's always, like, he's always a little pervy whenever he gets oh, yeah. around women, which is funny because he's, like, he was one of those guys that was married for 50 years. Like, <laughs> if you watch Legends House, every time that Ashley woman comes in, like, oh, old, yeah. G, old Gene perks up. Uh, <laughs> but I think he's from that generation that thought being creepy was charming. And, you know, there's, I, there's like, a whole generation that... Richard Dawson. That, like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I The whole... Uh, the whole thing was, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I skipped through all the 
between match stuff. It's yeah. just, uh, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen that all. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing great for me on that stuff. Um, and then Danny K, we get, uh, we get our first ultimate warrior sighting at WrestleMania. I mean, this next match, it's the ultimate warrior versus Hercules and Hercules was definitely a, a mainstay uh, in, in WWF around this time for a while. He was in a couple different iterations, face, heel, he turned, switched it up. He's in tag team, uh, for a while. I'll say this sloppy, you know, another powerhouse match where we just have punches and clotheslines and like a lot of them are like sloppy and not even really hitting. But this crowd was damn into the warrior, and he hadn't even really done a whole hell of a lot yet in the WWF. So they were. It's crazy that two years later, you know, he's winning the main event and uh, in WrestleMania six, and he's the face of the company. But you could definitely tell early on, and I think that's why they kept him out of the tournament. Like they didn't want him to win the tournament, and I don't think they wanted to get him beaten here. No, and that that makes sense. What surprises me about this match, uh, watching it back, it's the uh, Ultimate Warrior versus Hercules. How did this go for more than two minutes, and how did Hercules get any offense in? Oh, I know. Yeah. With a weird kind of finish. Because Hercules is no slouch monsoon. <laughs> this was a happening, though, for sure. One of the 18 yeah. times Gorilla ha- said it was ha- 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 I, I love wrestling it. extravaganza of yeah. all time. Which, yeah. He the electricity, that, you could cut it with a knife. He said it at one point, too, um, earlier on, and, I, and we, we didn't mention it. He said when, when Ricky's coming out with his son, he says... You know what that youngster's thinking? Whoa, this is a happening. Like this is some <laughs> this is some kind of happening. It's like the the youngster uh, thinks in WWE yeah. speak. He can't talk, but he's already thinking in WWE sound bites, which is just amazing. I mean, maybe uh, who li- lived who was a little older, living in the eighties, let me know. Is a this is a happening? Is that something that people actually said then, or was that just <laughs> WWE speak? Yeah, I mean, this was. <laughs> we got we got so a lot of those great girl lines throughout. Um, yeah, it was a finish where um, they were in the corner. Uh, Hercules went for the full Nelson, and Warrior pushed off the corner. It looked like both of their shoulders were down. The ref counted them both down, and then the Warrior just kind of popped his shoulder up at the last minute. And um, yeah, like you said, this this at this point, this was even long for a Warrior match, Jason. We normally just got like real big squashes, like we kind of saw him do with Honky Tonk at SummerSlam. Yeah, he uh, he was still fine. I mean, you could tell like, even the 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 shorts and the paint and the tassels—they're not nearly as bombastic as they were just a couple of years later. I mean, he was still, you know, he was he was finding out who he was. Now we get the big one. So um, they actually had an intermission at this point um, of the show, and then back from the intermission, it's the setup of the quarterfinal round. Because ta- um, Danny Danny tape two be- was halfway between this match, right? Like it was halfway during. When you had to VCR switch to tape two, it was halfway during Hulk and Andre, I think. Yeah. They, you, they had you at that point. You weren't turning off during the Hulk and Andre match. Yeah. Yep. And, and that was, you know, like we said, that was like the reason why this was my show, too, as Danny mentioned. I think Jason and I talked about it a couple weeks ago, like just going into the video store, looking and seeing all those matches on the back of the of the tape and seeing that big two tape that would open up in the middle was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get all of this for this for the same price. Like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. So um, always was one that I would rent over and over and over again. And then now we get the uh, the whole setup to the uh, the Hogan Andre. I mean, we're basically going back a year and a half, even more. Hogan and Andre were good friends. They were top level baby faces. Then the Hogan turn. I mean, the Andre turn. We get the uh, the Piper's Pit segment. We get Andre linking up with uh, Bobby the Brain. We go through WrestleMania three match. We go through um, even I think Survivor Series, the Royal Rumble, and then they have the match at the main event, the double Hebners, all this stuff, which is a really great build. I mean, this was an awesome build up. 
And um, and then Andre the Giant comes out, and it is Andre with DiBiase and Virgil, and uh, and then here comes Hulk with the real American music. And as always, when uh, when Andre and when Hogan's out there, Hulk Hogan is the greatest pro athlete in the world today. Um, Andre attacks immediately. They brawl uh, before Hulk's even ripped off the T-shirt. Um, Andre, and then one of those great Andre spots. He gets tied up in the ropes. Um, Virgil and Debs, Ted DiBiase, help him out. Um, Andre, this is the thing you mentioned, Jason. Too, they did a really great job with Andre because I mean, I bet you he was gassed after this show just from walking back and forth. He could barely move around at this point. It's really crazy to think that he still has two more WrestleManias after this. Yeah, this match got off to a fast start too yeah. by on, by Andre mm-hmm. and Hulk standards. Hulk ran in and they kind of started going right at it. But uh, yeah, as you say, uh, you know his, his his level of I mean, you know, and like you said, you can't blame the guy. I mean, his just his body is uh, is ravaged at that point. But uh, one of my favorite favorite gags is, is after you know after the match is over when DiBiase throws Virgil to the wolves and Jesse <laughs> goes that's his job guard the body body guard it's, it's just it's a great sleazy DiBiase move and, and in a way like it's just part of their great build up to their match against each other you know when Piper and him are uh part when Piper and Virgil partner up down the yep. road yep Danny um this, yeah, I mean, this is the Hulk Andre matches. None of them were ever going to be like that Mania three match with the bill and the circ and everything around it. But they were always huge. I mean, the main event before this was the most watched wrestling program in history. There were over fifty percent of households that were tuning into that. I mean, this is when wrestling was huge. These were the two biggest names in all of wrestling. So, um. More than anything, Danny, I mean, how surprised do you remember being when you watched this show for the first time that neither Hogan or Andre were moving on? Absolutely baffled. Me I mean, too. Oh, yeah. How do, how do you imagine a world where Hulk Hogan isn't the WWF champion? It just, it just, that just didn't make sense to me before I was 10 years old. It, it was crazy to yeah. to see and. Uh, just a lot going on. It was fun. It only ended up going five minutes and 13 seconds. And the finish was even, I mean, Hulk just blatantly bashes Andre right in front of the ref with a chair. He should have immediately been disqualified right there. But then they wait to let Andre hit him back with the chair. So that way they can do the double DQ. And um, just mentioning about like Hulk was very healed throughout all of this show. He kind of, uh, it was like a Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin, you know, 97, where he's just banging people with chairs all throughout the show. But um, same kind of thing for you, Jason. Like watching back, I remember, I I was like, who the hell is going to win this? Thing? Yeah, it's funny because obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. But like you, if I mean, you, it all completely leads to Macho Man. The way everything breaks mm-hmm. down. I mean, you know. But uh, yeah, I'm, of course, at the time, I mean, you just couldn't imagine Hogan. And that was we even talked about that at WrestleMania nine. You know, it was like even Hogan coming up at the end, which we'll talk about. Like it was great, like because he was the king, and even when he won at nine, like looking back now, you realize, oh god, his ego and this and that and the other. But at the time, I still remember being like, hell yeah, the Hulk's got to win. I wanted it. I yeah. mean, because yeah. rewind. Uh, let me step in on nine yeah. quickly. I, I was there live and uh, see, hearing Hulk's music and seeing him win the title at the last second. It's crazy for it. The crowd was crazy for it. He was yeah. he was still and he. Uh, always going to be uh, at least for another 10 15 years after that the biggest name in professional wrestling you know, humble brag on being there, the yeah. rock came around there was no one who could uh, conceivably challenge that yeah 
Danny Kay, I know I'm jealous getting to be there at Caesar's Palace at well actually at the at the Col- at the Roman Coliseum at, at the world's hanging, biggest party. Yeah, yeah, JR JR's first uh, first show. Hanging from the rafters if there were rafters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Danny, uh, the good thing about being there was you did not have to listen to the macho man <laughs> on commentary who who just was so awful, especially on that show. Oh yeah. Wrestling for the winning the title a year before, and then on commentary at nine. I know, and then the next yeah. year in the uh, the false count anywhere with Crush. What, what a weird uh, a few years there for the Macho. Um, so we get the double DQ. So that means that uh, up next it's going to be DiBiase versus Don Morocco, and the winner of that match is basically is going to get a uh, a buy and go to the finals of the tournament. So. We now have an interview in the backstage. It's me and Gene talking to Randy Savage. And Randy's starting to turn real like white meat baby face now. Hulk Hogan was a cheated man, not a defeated man. And uh, he basically just says, you know, now I'm going to do it. I'm one half of the mega powers and I'm going to go all the way. Yeah, thumbs up. (laughs) Quarterfinal round. Ted DiBiase versus Norm Rocco. You know, the one thing I noticed immediately um, about this match, Jason, was how weird it was to see DiBiase come out to the ring alone. Alone, yeah. And yeah. with no, there's no, he has no music. And it's, it's very like lacking in any kind of, I mean, you know, it, it literally was like, oh, here's, here comes Ted DiBiase. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird mo. I mean, coming out with no music in general seems strange. I mean, obviously it wouldn't happen now, but, um, you know, that was that period where most of the guys, or I mean, a good chunk of the guys had music and obviously Morocco had that big, uh, the big music that, uh, superstar Billy Graham had. So, I mean, they were very contrasted in, in coming out. And Danny this, looks annoyed that he's coming out. Like if yeah. you watch him, he, he looks pissed that he's there. Cause obviously his guy just, you know, his, his meal ticket just lost, even though later on they say that was the plan. And so Andre can't come out with DiBiase because he just had his match with Hogan right before, so he's probably recovering. Uh, Virgil got slammed on the on the uh, the floor, so he can't come out. So DiBiase is alone, and um, you know this went five minutes. Uh, DiBiase was like one of those guys where we don't even you know he's such a great heel. We all don't even realize when we're kids what a great worker he is and how good he yeah. is in the ring. Danny, I love the the uh, the finish of this match. It was what I think Steve Austin would use sometimes as his finisher when he was uh, stunning Steve, and they called it the stun gun, where he kind of dropped uh, Morocco throat first over the top rope. He gets the pin at uh, five minutes and forty four seconds. Just a, just a tangent. My kind of thing with Morocco at this one. It was kind of my first exposure ever to superstar Billy Graham as well. And I remember hearing Jesse Ventura mentioning that he uh, he was a former world champion, and then and, you know back then you couldn't go onto the network or find any any old stuff anywhere. But uh, you know eventually got to uh, learn more about uh, superstar Billy Graham and uh, kind of got what they were trying to do with him in Morocco. But that didn't come for me until years and years later. So I was kind of uh, flying blind the first uh, you know seven eight years I you know, of, of watching this show. And you know he he was a WWF champion in '78. Nowadays, uh, if you're champ ten years ago, you're probably main eventing Mania this year. <laughs> you're right, and getting a huge payday, especially if it's a Saudi Arabia show. Um, uh, so yeah, this was I mean nothing crazy. Um, you just it, it was just so weird because you just never saw DiBiase like winning clean, even which was which I think was a good it was good for them to do just to kind of put him over as like he's still. 
like top quality. He doesn't he, even without Andre and Virgil, like he's still capable of winning a match, which I thought was was kind of a good story as they continued um, throughout the show. Uh, we got Bob Euchre. I mean, he did a ton of interviews. He was basically like the the interviewer uh, throughout this entire show. Uh, normally, we wouldn't see um, a celebrity get like that many interviews. He must have had like six or seven um, different backstage interviews. He's talking with Demolition and Mr. Fuji. He says something about sushi too at one point. Um, and, and then we get this was also kind of weird, Jason, which was like made this show obviously go a little longer. But these were the things that I kind of liked that they would make. Um, the guys who had a buy come out to the ring yeah, and raise yeah, their yeah. hand for the buy. Well, you got the thing is, is no people in the arena. It's not like they had a scoreboard up, right? You're, so it is, point. it is, it is a good reminder. Great point at the time to like, oh yeah, I forgot the one man gang has a, has a buy. Yeah, he's still in the mix. So that is a good point. With no big jumbotron type stuff. We're 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 all looking at the brackets, you know. Um, so. That that's key. They have to be able to keep telling the story for the fans in the audience. So one man gang gets his hand raised. Um, he's into the semifinals because um, of that Roberts rude draw a little earlier in the night. Uh, next up, we get Greg Valentine versus Randy Macho Man Savage. And since this is a uh, match two for Macho Man, Danny K, we've got a new outfit. For uh, Macho Man and Elizabeth And Gorilla lets us know That there's going to be lots of elbows In this match Both guys known for their elbowing uh, to, to Two of the masters of the elbow in this one And uh, <laughs> m- mentioned earlier you know, watch, Watching with uh, Mrs. Danny K The other night uh, And she, she, she's noticing the wardrobe changes Especially on Elizabeth for each one And how, how classy she is So you know, that's definitely On On, on a not so subtle level, just kind kind of elevating him the further he goes each time. Jason, where uh, where were you with this one? Uh, eh, I don't know. I mean, like I said, this the middle part of the show drags a little bit for me for just from a viewing standpoint. Because um, I mean, it it is so long, and yeah, so you know, I was not a a big Valentine fan. So I, I will say, one thing I noticed is like one of the weakest. The the least payoff for the most energy moves is the double axe handle off the top rope when a guy's standing. <laughs> like they usually just drape their hands around the top of the guy's head. I mean, they, they obviously don't aren't nailing the guy, but it just seems like a lot of work to, you know, kind of punch the guy on top of the head. Which you could have just done from right there. <laughs> from right there with yeah. actually more, you know, actual more momentum with which just is, turning your hips. Which is funny, actually, there's a moment in the match, which you might have thought of this subconsciously even, where Jesse and Gorilla are debating that. And um, when gr- the uh, hammer goes up the top rope to do like a double axe handle off the top, and, you know, Gorilla says, you know, I don't know if that was worth it. And Jesse says, oh, absolutely. Did you see the uh, force that he came down with? And they're kind of going back and forth on that. Well, and for, he hits, uh, he, they, they, I think Macho comes down, Hammer punches him, but Macho still hits him. And Hammer yeah. does kind of his Ric Flair fall where he just face plants, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, Hammer, Hammer does do a good fall. Like, yes. he'll do that where he's standing, looks fine, and then he just drops. Yeah. And, and then Danny, you know what? I did like... Um, the match was okay. I mean, with these two guys, if the, if these two guys had a, a 15 minute match, I, it would obviously be a lot better if it wasn't in a tournament situation like this. But I really did like the finish. I thought anytime someone would go for like the figure four and you rolled them up in a small package, it seemed very believable. No, a- a- absolutely. And, uh, you know, just one of the dangers of the figure four. And you know, M- M- Macho, he didn't have any uh, four or five star matches uh, this year, but he he didn't need to to get himself over. Yep, that was the key. This this was about building the Macho Man here, 
And um, and now we are up to uh, Mean Gene talking to Vanna about the ongoing you know Bob Euchre storyline. They go over the next uh, set of matches. So we're really down to three. It's Macho Man Randy Savage against the One Man Gang. The winner of that will meet Ted DiBiase in the finals. We now get the uh, IC title match that we were talking about uh, a couple different times throughout the show with uh, the Honky Tonk Matt. With Jimmy Hart and Peggy Sue versus Brutus Beefcake. <laughs> Peggy Sue is uh, is really Sherry Martell. Is and, she really? Uh, I didn't yeah. I didn't know that one. Oh, yeah, that's, okay. that's Sherry. Sherry oh. playing uh, Peggy Sue. Jesse gives her a big time. Uh huh. Yep. Like, She's always very positive. She's really, yeah. uh, She really loves the honky tonk man. Yep. Okay. Which I think so for the people who knew that it was Sherry, that was kind of like a nice uh, a nice inside joke. And then yeah. Jesse always has to say hello to Terry, Tyrell, and Jade back in yeah. Minnesota. I, I got that noted, Gina. I think, <laughs> and if I, I think the first one was WrestleMania three. Yep. And then uh, every it was every year after that. And uh, yeah, wife and wife and kids for those who don't know. So, Danny, this was basically like your typical honky match, right? We get lots of honky cheating um, with Jimmy Hart kind of begging off. And then he's, you know, they're like double teaming Brutus. And um, we never, you mentioned, he's such a great heel. He's so great at begging off. And the finish of this match was a lot of the matches had bad finishes. This was just like a total honky tonk man finish though, right? Like he's out cold in the middle of the ring, but Jimmy Hart saves him by nailing the ref with the megaphone. And the ref is dead. <laughs> and you'd think at one of these points, you know, it would lead to a honky tonk man, like, you know, pay off in a steel cage match or something where the DQ is not going to save him. And it never did. No. Honky <laughs> just got to honky it up. <laughs> one and, of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the ultimate payoff, though, uh, made, made it worth it. Yeah, yeah. It, it did. When uh, we saw Warrior uh, squash him a little later on, this year so um yeah I mean that's what happens like it looks like Beefcake is about to win the Intercontinental Championship he's got Honky in the sleeper he's about to fall asleep and Jimmy Hart just is like he realizes that Honky's about to lose and he just decks the ref in the back of the head with the megaphone and uh, as Jason mentioned referee is just out I mean he's not moving they're both out in fact uh, Peggy Sue Sherry has to come and pour water on Honky Tonk's face just to uh to revive him, but we get the fun spot um, when they're down, when the ref is down, and when Honky's down, where uh, Jimmy Hart goes and steals the the bag of Honk of uh, Brutus's clippers, and Brutus gets him back, and then he follows Honky Tonk, uh, or he follows Jimmy Hart under the ring, and Jesse says he's not gonna cut his hair under the ring, is he? <laughs> and uh, and then we get the payoff, uh, which we always wanted, Jason. We get yeah. Jimmy, we get Jimmy Hart's hair cut. Um, which he seemed to get his haircut all the damn time, right? <laughs> my uh, my favorite random little thing about this is Gorilla constantly referring to Jimmy Hart as the Colonel. Oh yeah, because yeah, <laughs> you know because Colonel Tom Parker was Elvis's manager, and so Jimmy became Colonel Jimmy Hart. That's and great. Uh, yeah, and it's just I don't know why it makes me laugh because like he's he's like the least Colonel looking guy on the planet. First of all, <laughs> I mean. He's just, a, he's such a little weasel, but, uh, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's a fun spot at the end. I, I always love the haircut thing. And I remember, you know, for Jimmy, it, it went on, you know, I remember him complaining about it cause you know, he had that long kind of mullet and Brutus cut off a lot of hair. Like you can see when he gets up, like <laughs> it is, it is not long anymore. Like he, uh, he really went to work on it. Yeah, this is like we said, Danny. Like with the Brutus matches, they were you're never gonna get like five star classic, you know. You know, but they're fun. I don't ever mind rewatching them. They're a good time. They're never too long. They always have some fun spots with the sleeper, and then you know after the match, you're gonna get at least a tease with the uh, with the um, with the shears. 
Uh, you, you, you always got what you paid for with the, with Brutus Beefcake and uh, until you know, late, his later days in WCW as a butcher or the booty man, you know, I'll, I'll wash my hands on that. But uh, Brutus the Barber, one of my favorite characters, uh, WWF in this era. Yeah, and you know what? This That was a good – I'm glad you mentioned that. This match, these were two of the best characters. They, yeah. These guys were not ring generals, but that wasn't the that wasn't what what we needed from them. We we wanted them to play their roles as you know Elvis impersonator, cheap heel, and uh, and Brutus the barber. You know, great mid card baby face, friend of Hulk Hogan, who's going to get the haircut afterwards. So yeah, these guys were two of the really good good characters um, in especially in this era of WWF. You know, um, I, re- I, re- I really love. That Honky could never trouble himself to actually learn guitar. No, <laughs> like as someone who plays guitar, like I, I watch now, and he obviously traveled with a guitar, you know, at every moment. And whenever he's like starts strumming it, like he doesn't even bother he to play a chord. Like two he, chords. He just, just he learned just, two or three just chords. Just learn a G and a C, and you'll look like you at least know what you're doing. And he just he couldn't do it. Like he the, he never would. One one last uh, thing too about the. Yeah, the beefcake match. I love Jesse's because beefcake's outfit was pretty aggressive, and uh, <laughs> and he goes, Brutus looks like he survived a nuclear explosion." Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, and, uh, I think earlier in the night, me and Gene looked at him and said, "What a package!" <laughs> but uh, Bru- brother Brood, I um, making us laugh like always. Um, up next, we get. The the infamous clip that I think a lot of re- like every wrestling fan I'm sure has seen at one point and the one that they show all the time when they show the clips from old WrestleManias it's Bob Euchre and uh, Andre comes over and you know what Andre Andre talking but he didn't really like talk a whole lot and this was one of his like like longer heel promos yeah it, it was good it was good um he he uh, Euchre can't find Vanna but then Andre comes out. And uh, and basically, after Andre kind of just says, you know, this was I was paid off by DiBiase to get Hogan out of the match. Hogan, you're not the champ, you know, so I won, kind of a thing. And Andre's still going with the I'm undefeated, even though we've seen him lose now multiple times. <laughs> but uh, but it, it was great. And then Euchre says to him, "How about getting your foot off my shoulder?" And then uh, Andre chokes Euchre, and he puts his big hands around Euchre's neck. And I mean, Euchre sold this thing so great, Jason. Yeah, it's it's a it's a gif now. Like if you, I think if you search Andre the Giant gif, you get the one where he's scared of the snake and he's saying no, 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 and then you get him shaking Bob Euchre's uh, head, and it's one of those great examples of Andre's hands because you know Euchre was a professional athlete. It's not like he's mean. Yeah. Gene. You know, he's not a he's not a tiny guy. And I was you know, when we were talking about Euchre earlier, I was forgetting that like this was right in the peak of the less filling great taste commercials. It was also during Mr. Belvedere. Mr. Belvedere. Like, Euchre yeah. was a mainstream star at this point. He wasn't just a goofy baseball guy. So yeah. uh but yeah, yeah. It, it, it's actually it's weirdly because Andre always had the brain for his promos. He never had to do them. And mm-hmm. this one he actually like had a, a little bit of a, a story and a flow. Like it was it was it was good for Andre standards. What'd you think, Danny? I, I never knew Euchre as a baseball guy back at this time. I just knew yeah. that uh, I saw him on Mr. Belvedere sometimes. Mm-hmm. Which it, it's funny, you know. And I was I was watching the this show um, over the last you know couple of days. I watched it a few different times through the last like week or two. And and Stephanie would always uh, my girlfriend Stephanie would always kind of come in through one of the Macho Man's entrances and and say the graduation song. And it's funny that you said that, Danny, because like about Bob Euchre to me. Before I knew it was the graduation song, it was Macho Man's song. 
It's like I remember man song. And like, I remember being like actually hearing it at graduation, you know, when I'm whatever, four or five years old or whatever, I go to a graduation and going, like, why the hell are they playing Macho Man's music? Are they big wrestling fans here? This doesn't make any sense to me. So it's it's funny, like the way, you know, backwards you learn things. And I always I'm, to me, this is always a Macho Man song. It's not the graduation, uh, the graduation song, but just um iconic moment one of those ones that when you when you literally get like a snapshot of what is wrestlemania and what vince mcmahon wanted wrestlemania to be with the mixing of the celebrity and the wrestler and the mainstream it was exactly what that andre choking euchre moment was like that was what vince mcmahon dreamed up and uh, and it was it was really good it was a lot of fun as we get set for our next match it is the islanders and bobby the brain heenan versus the british bulldog and coco beware and when Bobby comes out, he is wearing a dog handler's jacket to protect himself. These are the Islanders with um, uh, Tama. Haku, who was, Haku and Tama, yeah. Yeah, Haku and Tama, who was uh, better known as the Tonga kid. Haku was also uh, Ming when he went to WCW. And uh, they're all related with uh, Rikishi and Umaga and all of them. And this was, you know... Six-man tag, the Bulldogs and Coco. We kind of talked about it a few times throughout the show how the story of this was um, the Matilda, like, dog napping and them trying to get the revenge on Bobby the Braid Heenan, who's wearing that big um, dog handler's jacket. And you know what, Danny? I will say, the one of the reasons why I really, really love Bobby, too, is he was Weasley and he was a great heel, but whenever he would get in the ring in a, in a situation like this, or you know, I, I, there was one with the Red Rooster when he's in a match, he bumped like crazy. He would he would take any bump, and that's a bummer because like later on, that's kind of why he stopped being a manager because he had those neck problems and he he kind of felt like he didn't want to to not let the the, the baby faces get their comeuppance on him. But man, the guy was a ton of fun when he would be in the ring. Yeah, throw, throw himself into it, but uh, yeah, hard, hard to watch knowing how uh, he ended up from it later in his life. Yeah, it, it was, and uh, I mean, Jason, this is great. And then whenever they would have a, a lot of times when they would do the manager in in like a six man tag or like a a non like main roster wrestler, we saw this I think with uh, Dangerous Danny Davis even the year before with like Mr. kind of Fuji like a, had one one of these yep. uh, a couple years later too. I yeah, too. They just kind of placed him on top and, and, and he wins. It seemed like they liked doing it. So it was great for the to keep the story going that Bobby the Brain gets the win and Jesse just loves the fact that Heenan picks up the victory. Yeah, it's uh yeah. Bob, Bobby's just awesome. And like I said, I think the match gets handicapped a little in the sense because they do have to I mean, obviously Bobby's not gonna go out there and, and do wrestling moves full fledged, you know, so his, he comes out and squashes a couple times, runs right out. And then, and then they finally do get to hit him a few times, but they have to work but, around him. You're yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes that slows the match. The other thing is, you know, the whole angle is, is whether or not the dog is going to get to Heenan. And then when it finally does afterwards, like the dog is like so confused and doesn't actually want to bite him. Like Davey's like literally dropping the dog on top of him. I know. And, he, and they're like, he's going after Heenan. He's going, she's going after Heenan. And it's like, no, she's like laying on him and wanting to kiss him. Yeah. Like it, it's really funny. Dogs at WrestleMania just never worked. Yeah. No, 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 no good call on, on that one. And then uh, Jesse, by the way, we always talk about the early days racism. Jesse says that Bobby looks like a Chinaman. Oh, yeah. Like, like what a crazy thing, thing to, to just say. I know yeah. it's so. It's like you when you hear those some of those things are like piercing nowadays, and oh, I always man. try to make the notes of them. Um, so I mean, yeah, this wasn't much as you mentioned. Like 
it was it was more the story like it just like an islanders british bulldogs like when they had their matches they could go you know like you yeah. get, if you get 15 or 20 minutes of those guys going at it and this was definitely like the end of of the dynamite kid you even saw him just for a few minutes like right at the yeah. beginning of the match he's so quick he's so fast like he can go he was you know like the guy that Bret Hart looked up to and learned a lot from and and, and some of those uh types and um always uh, always sad that he didn't get the opportunity to get you know like more of a, a run cuz he was you know, um, just decimated by injury. And Haku, get, and Haku, of course, always thought of like as real life the baddest the, mofo ever, right? Yeah, the badass. Yeah, he was he was the one that they would uh they wanted to bring with uh and and all the guys backstage would always want to bring to fight the other guys. So when like Haku was on WWF side, they would want him to bring to fight the NWA guys, and then yeah. vice versa in WCW, they'd want him to bring to fight the the WWF guys. He was one of those uh those tough guys backstage, and we get up to. Um, oh, this is we'd we'd always have a spot where Jesse gets announced. Yeah. And Danny, you know what? Like this was another one where just watching when I'm young, I don't realize how much of a, like a movie star Jesse Jesse is at this point. Like he's in some some actually decent movies, and he, you know, I kind of forget that he was a a big heel. You know, three or four years before this, but man, the crowd loved him. They were going absolutely crazy for him when he jumped up on the uh, announce table. Yeah, get, get, getting his due, and uh, yeah, he was he was said he was thinking he was thinking of coming out of retirement, <laughs> and, and he, also and also he, wearing he there that he could. It, it reminded yeah. me that a lot of those guys wore spandex in their day to day life. Yeah. yeah, it was it was fun. Um, Jesse was just such a great staple of these first six years of WrestleMania. Like it's just he, hearing his voice gives me that like warm fuzzy feeling inside. Uh, then we get uh, Ted DiBiase getting his buy into the finals. He comes out. He gets uh, his hand raised earlier, and it's the semifinals time with uh, Macho Man and uh, Elizabeth. They're now out in another different outfit. They're wearing black here, and uh, <laughs> there's a, this match only was about four minutes, but there's a funny line like right at the beginning of the match that I loved, where uh, Gorilla says Jesse's talking about how you know. Randy's had to wrestle an extra match Whether it's gonna, you know, against the one-man gang And then if he wins, he's gonna have to have wrestle An extra match against DiBiase And Gorilla says It's because Macho has a chance to win Because he has heart And Jesse goes, Bret Hart? <laughs> Which was just just so stupid But just yeah. hilarious, you know Like Jesse just being a smartass right away with him um, And they were playing Jason, like they're playing this whole You know Macho Man has has had to wrestle the extra match. Yeah. The 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 big man got the buy, so he's obviously the heavy favorite here. And Macho's got to work to uh, to get by this guy. But can you imagine from a booking standpoint, like, was there ever going to be a DiBiase gang final? I know, like, right? You like, just... there's there nobody would stay for that. Like, everybody You're would right. go home. And You're so, right. like, looking back, it's like, well, how? I mean, come on. I mean, they were never gonna they were never gonna put the gang at the feature race for a feature <laughs> uh, event in WrestleMania. So I, but, I suppose that it would seem to match at work though, because you've got uh, you know Savage in against a guy twice his size. And... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. I guess yeah. I like I said I, I and I and I hate when people look at wrestling from a Booker angle, but like that one to me kind of does jump out as like you know, of course they're not having a gang DiBiase, yeah. but, but it's true. I mean you know those those four hundred five hundred pound guys, you know theoretically you'd think they would just squash a lot of these little guys, but uh, and then he got he got DQ'd right the gang yeah which yeah, was trying was, to stab him with the yeah with a cane a cane yeah, yeah he, he's a really dumb guy <laughs> so stupid right and it's like you would think. That was, this was one of the finishes that I did it. I, I, 
if you're trying to get Macho over, that's fine. Like, have maybe Slick has the cane, or maybe like like Macho's getting beat up. What, what I didn't like about this was like after the match, Macho still got the better of the gang, right? And then he he walks out on his own. So if you're gonna tell the story that Macho is like beaten up again, um, like don't let him get get over on them at the end of the match. Like have Macho have to be like wheeled out or helped out, you know, as like you know Slick and the gang are celebrating as they walk out. Because I didn't, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense that there's a DQ and then after Macho still is able to like you know get his double axe handle and and the gang falls on top of Slick. It just seemed a little bit like like th- those two didn't go together. Um, and I think one of the only maybe like slight mistakes on the night building Macho, even it didn't hurt him any, but maybe it just could have been a little a little different. There, um, but yeah, just a four minute match, nothing crazy, just really stupid though. Like, if you're in a tournament where you're next, you're one match away from winning the title, you're gonna bring a cane and just beat on someone right in front of the ref, just doesn't make a, a whole hell of a lot of sense there. Um, nonetheless, Macho gets the win, so it's Macho versus DiBiase, which we actually had on uh, this match on the main event, uh, Saturday night's main event, right before the the this pay per view in, in March. And they had a match where DiBiase ends up winning by countout because you know everybody's teaming up on on Savage, and then Hogan comes out for the save, and, and he helps him, and that's kind of starting the forming of the of the Mega Powers. We now go backstage. It is a little more Mean Gene and Vanna White in the tournament brackets. There, the finals are set. Vanna gets ready to walk out to the ring because she's going to get intro- uh, introduced for the the main event coming up soon. And, uh, and then it's tag team titles time. We get. The WWF version of the LOD with uh, Demolition wearing their S&M outfits. Uh, they're taking on Strike Force, which is Tito Santana and Rick Martel. And they, their music, the Tito Santana Strike Force music, it is so great 80s. It is just like, to me, that is the 80s, that song, their music there. Have you ever uh, listened to the uh, two albums that the WWF put out in the 80s a wrestling album and wrestling album to pile driver pile driver was amazing they do the they do the um the music video pile driver at the end of one of the Saturday night main events leading up to this which is just unbelievable but uh you know what demolition was was really over at this time and they're going to turn face in, in not too long um but they were, you know, as, as I mentioned, Jason, they were kind of the uh, the WWF's like answer to what the LOD was on, on the other side. I, I I actually thought Demolition was kind of cool, and, and part of that might have been because I didn't follow the other side, so mm-hmm. I didn't really know about LOD at this point. And so to me, these guys were kind of, you know, it, it's funny. Like Shawn Michaels, same thing. Like the outfits, looking back now, they're like very like S and M and weird. But at the time, they looked kind of bad. <laughs> great, and tough. they were bad. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, Michael, going, some, going, of his, some of his early boy toy outfits are are really bad. Go going back earlier, also the uh, learning things in reverse. Uh, when I first saw the Legion of Doom, I thought they were the Demolition knockoff. You're right. I, I kind of did too, because that's what I knew Demolition first. It's so funny, and and they have some badass music. You know, when their music starts, Demolition, and they come down, here comes the axe. Yeah, great Here music. comes the smasher, like walking disaster. That was a real fun um, uh, entrance song when they came down. And this was, you know, your typical uh, bigger guys, Demolition, uh, against the quicker um, tag team with, you know, Tito we talk about. He's just such a like a, a mainstay in WWF through, through all these years. And you know what we're going to get. 
in a Tito match, Jason. We're going to get some Chico, Chico talk. Yeah. Chico my, uh, my favorite thing that... <laughs> the, the, the flying tamale. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he just... He, 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 he never gives up on that. But, but my favorite little thing that Jesse does once in a while is whenever Joey Morella's doing a match, he always tries to take a shot at him. And it, it's funny because at the time you don't know he's Gorilla's son. No. But now looking back, you're like, how funny is that? Like he's just busting the kid's balls just because his dad's sitting right next to him. And, yeah. and, they, and they can't, you know, he, he can't comment on it other than like, oh, I thought he was in, in good position. Yeah, he does. He just tries to take an extra shot there. Um, yeah. So we get Danny, we get a, Jesse's two comments that were uh, uh, great here was uh, um, early on when uh, Demolition is got the advantage over uh, over Tito Santana. He says Chico wants to be back in uh, Tijuana selling tacos right now. <laughs> and then we get one of those gorilla. Will you stop? You're like, or he didn't do that. And then the other one was he he comes with the I think one of the flying elbows that you were just mentioning or the flying forearm. And he says Chico learned that move in the Mexican Football League. <laughs> The MFL, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which was just, just I'm just every time it's, it's Jesse and and Tito comes out, I'm just waiting for the first Chico, you know, and you could see that they would have a lot of fun, Gorilla and Jesse, because they would kind of go like Jesse would say Chico every time Gorilla said Tito. Although yeah. when, when you're a kid and you're watching this, do you even get what Chico means, or do you think no. his name is also Chico? Yeah, yeah, like sometimes oh they call Gorilla Gino. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this was this like, was just. Fun, fun stuff. Um, at the end of the match, we get another one of these, you know, manager involved kind of cheap finishes where the referee's distracted when it looks like the the good guys, the strike force are about to win. Rick Martell has the Boston Crab, which was one of my favorite moves. I love yeah. the Boston Crab. He's got it locked in, and uh, they use the cane, another cane spot from behind to uh, to hit him. They get the pin, and we have our new tag team champions at eight oh two. Um, also, I'm sure you guys, you know, realize too, is we just sad hearing the Fink, right? You know, like throughout the show with the, what a great job he does and all the announcements uh, after he just passed the other day, but he got to get his, uh, his big new announcement here for a uh, demolition and, and the next match. Yeah. Yeah. He, which was a, a real classic. So yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of fun, a lot of fun, uh, with this one, um, Tito's complaining afterwards to the ref. So, so, so far, and this also has, set up, uh, yeah, kind of a long, slow, Feud with uh, Tito and uh, Rick Martel. Also, speaking of those yeah. payoffs, you're right. Who, lo- who looked a lot alike? I think. So. I think Jesse even mentions that he couldn't tell who was who. Like they had the same kind of long mulletish haircut and same tan and everything. Yeah, Rick. Similar Rick builds too. I mean, he he was one that you know he doesn't get talked about with like the really good uh, WWF wrestlers, and he 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 was like a main eventer before coming to the WWF. And then he was in some tag teams for a while. They threw him around in a few different uh, tag teams. Uh, iterations. Yeah. With Tom, with Tom Zink, the Can-Am express, I think. And uh, he, and then he had like one of the real great underrated runs as the model, you know, which was, it's a great, great character. But um, you, you, you hit that one, Danny, this is kind of the start of a long overarching storyline with the, with the strike forces. They, you know, kind of would split up a, a little bit later. Remember so the now, mo- remember the model's uh, button that said yes I am a model <laughs> <laughs> with his arrogance that he would yeah, spray in everyone's like, face. Like, which, by the way, if you sprayed arrogance into somebody's <laughs> eyes, it was worse than salt. I mean, they were dead. Yeah. <laughs> but I just thought that I just thought that 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 pin was so funny. Yes, I'm a model. Yes, I am a model. So uh, we have been 15 matches down now so far. Um, 
And we're getting set for the big one Now it's the uh, the finals of the tournament Finkel, uh, Howard Finkel introduces Robin Leach Of Lifestyle, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous uh, They present the uh, he, he, It's kind of cool, he's walking down the aisle with the belt And the crowd is like reaching out to touch the belt Like it's like it's a holy You know, like, the, like a lot of the people are like They're, they're reaching out just to get a little a little Touch of that world heavyweight championship belt It, it was kind of cool to see how You know wrestling was thought of At this point too because everybody was so Into it everybody was like playing along with the game You know what I mean like everyone's going along with With the with the, the show And um and, and then we Get you know uh the introduction Of uh the celebrities so Robin Leach uh then Bob Euchre comes out he's the guest ring announcer And he introduces guest timekeeper Vanna White and uh Euchre then introduces uh, DiBiase, I kind of like what he said DiBiase, uh, accompanying himself No, he's got the big man Andre yeah. the Giant with him Just kind of goofy, but it's like, I always remember that little Like line, because I've watched the show so many times And uh and I wonder how Finkel felt about having to give up the For the intro. big match, right? Yeah. yeah yeah. Because he didn't get to do Hogan Andre He didn't get to do this one Like I always think about, like Mountaineer used to bring in Dave Johnson To call the West Virginia Derby Delta and, would do that too a lot of times on big nights or, yeah, yeah, and they, yeah. and I think I think Charlestown has done it before And Like, you know, you work all year, you do all the travel and all the work And then the biggest spot, you get bounced Like I always thought that kind of stuff And, and Finkel's better than Euchre like, Oh, you know, yeah I mean, so it's, uh, I, I don't know, I always wondered I mean, I'm sure he was always a team player But, um, you know and Danny, we get one of the uh, right off the bat when the this match starts. Before the match starts, you mentioned uh, we get the payoff from the Euchre uh, storyline. He's chasing around. He's looking for Vanna all night. He gave that awful line right before this where he mentions Vance White, and it was like he blew he blew the punch line, but he still is able to get the hug, get the kiss afterwards. So that to me, that's kind of what was really fun about it. We did we don't get that in a lot of WrestleManias because I mean you you can't really. Have like a, a sustained storyline throughout the card. This is more of something that happened in like Monday Night Raws for a while, you know, with like Austin. But I loved that we had some stories all throughout the card. Obviously, the Macho Man, and then kind of the underlying one with Euchre. I, I love that uh, they knew how to use their celebrities back then for WrestleMania. Yes, yes, they did. Are they, you referring they... to anything that happened recently, Danny? <laughs> The, the Tampa I, I, Bay, I, I, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, new twenty four seven champion. I love that WWE released a statement. They were like, Gronkowski is the twenty four seven champion. He might be pinned in the end zone by Tom Brady. You know, yeah. something like that, which just just hilarious. But uh, yeah, great great use of the celebrities here. They got the good. They, this was the rub that Vince wanted. You know, from all of them, and, and he got it with a, uh, especially with Euchre, who you know this wasn't as good as he was in Mania three, but he still was a lot of fun. Here and we get set for DiBiase, Randy Savage, and even with these guys tired, you can tell right away that they're like two of the better workers. You know, this oh, yeah. match is definitely going to be better than a lot of the matches we've seen all throughout the night. And what had happened in this match is what had been happening over the last few months to build up the Mega Power storyline. Uh, Macho Man would be in a match, and uh, and then it, you know it, it was initially it was the Honky Tonk and the Heart Foundation actually who were that came out and were beating him up, and then Elizabeth went back and she got Hulk Hogan who came out and made the save. And so early in the match um, Every time Macho Man's trying to get the advantage There's Andre uh, Andre's on the outside of the ring Andre's doing something Andre's getting involved And so Elizabeth has to run back And get Hulk Hogan to come on out And um, and help Macho Man And then we just get Then after I mean this is a blast You know this is like another one of those things That's just 
Like it's it's a fun like from the the announcing the beginning of of the celebrities getting announced to the very end when Macho has his hand raised. It's like a fifteen minutes of of real fun. Like I really love this like whole main event thing, Jason. Yeah, it was action packed. It was it was just a good match, and I mean the crowd like looks for Hogan like the first thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's, and so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know why everybody was like, I don't know why it was so obvious, but you know, I guess looking back, of course it was obvious, but uh, I mean, he, he just, Hogan couldn't let anybody have like that, you know, big thing, but I, I'm guessing that they probably, Hogan was just so huge and so over. They wanted everybody to think, Hey, if Hogan's down with this, we're down with this kind of thing. The rub. Yeah. He was giving him the rub, the Hogan rub for sure. And, um, and, and then Danny, we get, we get, you know, uh, like schmoz all over and dip, you know, Andre getting involved, Hogan getting involved. And then the finish is basically Hogan just blasting, um, DiBiase in the back with a chair when the ref's not looking, he goes down, Macho goes up for the elbow. He hits an awesome elbow drop here. He's got just a little extra spring in his step because he knows. I loved throughout the match too, in, in the first one, like the way he covered. You could tell Macho like knew he was going to win the title because he was just bouncy all night long. He, his energy was amazing, and and I mean this is this is fun. And then this sets up you know a storyline for a while where we've got you know uh, still on the the Mega Bucks against the Mega Powers with Andre and, and DiBiase versus uh, Hogan and Savage and. And Danny, this was actually like the start of what would lead to the main event of WrestleMania five. And was, you know, this was like one of the most lucrative time periods in the history of the WWF. They're about to come upon like one of their greatest storylines where Macho and Hulk turn on each other and and they main event five. This was just a, a blast. And like thinking about how like these two or three years are kind of all connected. It's a ton of fun. It's like much different than the way the wrestling is presented nowadays. No, absolutely. Like the only time I can really think of the past uh, decade where they really planned a story out a year in advance is uh, that uh, John Cena rock match uh, Mm -hmm. a year before for WrestleMania. And all they did there is they announced it one night and then put it on hold for 10 months. Yeah. You know, the the mega powers, they would carry every WWF pay-per-view from WrestleMania 4 all the way up until, uh, what was it, Survivor Series uh, 89, a year and a half later. You know, that, that that was their bread and butter. And then even going further, you don't get the full final payoff until you have Savage and Elizabeth reunite WrestleMania 7 three years down the line. Yep. It was it just it's it's sometimes it is Shakespeare. It, it really is. It is. You know, we, we we give them a hard time for a lot of things that are goofy. But this was there. There's not many people who could be cynical about the storyline and, and what what was moving forward. And, and it was great because. Um, I believe at this time, like the reason why Hulk didn't win this was because Hulk was going to film No Holds Barred uh, right after this. He was going to go film a movie, so he wasn't going to be around all the time. So what they were able to do was, okay, we can have you know Macho and DiBiase kind of be the the, the main event and and you know sell the tickets for the house shows, and that can be a storyline for a while. And then Hulk can kind of show up whenever he can and be in their corner. And that's what they did for a, for a bit until you know we got to. Uh, it was Survivor Series where we started to see a little crack, uh, a little crack, and then it was Royal Rumble where we started to see a little crack, and then they turned on each other at the main event, and um, it was lust in your eyes, Hogan, which we got a year a year later, and I mean this was this was a blast. If you're someone who likes the Macho Man, this is a show that you'll love because it made him a star. Yeah. And by the end of the night, I remember thinking like, man, yeah, this guy, this guy just had it. He had all of it. 
um, ton of fun. We get the the big posing at the end, and as, as you mentioned, Jason, we're never gonna get a show to go off without Hose, Hogan getting no. some of his poses out. He's giving the people what they want. Uh, Jesse's <laughs> like, what by what posing? I can pose. The what one thing. Uh, you mentioned, I think you actually kind of teased this, Gino, earlier, but like Macho really was the only quote unquote good guy that Jesse ever really gave it up for. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, he really kind of broke the the character in terms of that. And I wanted to mention one more thing from the Macho DiBiase match. When Macho goes up for that final elbow, you know, Hogan had kind of knocked him out. So you knew he was, was out for the count. The flash bulbs that go off when Macho's in the air. It's unbelievable because he, he he misses the elbow earlier, but I think because he's not, you know, DBS, he is down and knocked out from Hogan. Uh, I forget how, what he hit. What does he hit him with a chair or what? I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Space, yeah. He hits a chair. Yeah. But like, it's almost like everybody knew, okay, this is the final spot. And if you, I mean, it's, it's like flashbulb city that goes off when he's in midair. And I was thinking about like, I kind of wonder if like on eBay, you can find some of those pictures because it has to be an amazing shot of him midair. Uh, getting ready to drop that elbow. Danny, what are some of your uh, your final thoughts of this show? I, I think of every show I've ever seen, just from start to finish, in WWF wrestling pay-per-view history, I've never seen one that tells a more cohesive, uh, better story than WrestleMania four does. Uh, any individual piece of it uh, it might be slow, might not be much, but when you view it as the whole, it's so much more than the sum of its parts, and that's what may, what's makes it an all-timer for me, and always will. That is very, very well said. There are, like, this was, I think, you know, we look back now, and we didn't really know what, like, WrestleMania moments were, but when you look at this show, you get a good a good amount of them, right? Obviously, with Hogan winning, or with, uh, with Savage winning, he gets his moment, but he gets, you know, the celebrating in the ring with Hogan after. We get the Bret Hart moment right at the very beginning, which is like a WrestleMania moment, you know, um, in the Battle Royal. Um, we get some, some of the, like, real creative finishes. Andre gets, this is, you know, like, one of his real last times to shine in the WWF because we don't really see Andre a whole lot in the main event picture um, after this. He just can't do much, so... Just, just a lot of fun again. You know, you look back and if, like, if you looked at each of these matches individually, just like you said, Danny, and not like a, the the sum of the whole of the parts, it, it would be completely different. But you you can't do that, and you shouldn't do that when you're watching WrestleMania four. It's about the story. It's about um, the ascent of the Macho Man, him becoming a a main major player and one of the all time WWF greats. And it's about that like year long storyline that we get between Hogan and uh, Miss Elizabeth and. And uh, the Macho Man, so a lot of fun. I'm actually surprised we got through this pretty quick. I think because you know we a lot of the matches we talk about multiple guys, you know, a couple times. We already we already hit on a lot of things about them, but uh, yeah, again, like any anything else to close it out with, Jason? Before we get going, no, I think uh, I, I liked what Danny said at the end, and I, and I kind of echo what I said earlier, just in the sense that it's such an identifiable WrestleMania because of the tournament, and it, it is funny to watch it. In, in regards to Trump now, because obviously of, of who he is. And so it's just strange. Like, wow, that guy's the president of the United States. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I think it's, is it the first year or the second year? There's, there's some other guy that's rich there that there, I think it's the five, WrestleMania five. Like that he bring Trump brings one of his rich buddies the next year. And, uh, DiBiase's talking about how he's like, Oh, you know, I, I'm good friends with that guy. He just made the biggest deal of all time or something what, like that. And Jesse, I, I can't remember when it, which one it is at one of the events, Jesse actually, is goes up to interview him yeah, yeah and he yeah. says um 
you know, Mr. Trump, I'm thinking about running for office next year. Could I have your support? And he says, Jesse, whatever you need, man, I'll take whatever good care you need, of you. Jesse will do great. Which is so funny great. to think that that's the future governor of Minnesota yeah. and then the yeah, future president, president of the United States. Oh, wow, no kidding. Yeah. Danny, what about any other closing thoughts? I, I'm just surprised that a Hulkamaniac like Donald Trump would support Jesse Ventura. <laughs> you think Donald Trump's a Hulkamaniac? I mean, the Hulkster told us, brother. Yeah. He is when he's backstroking and dog paddling backwards. <laughs> Gentlemen, this was a lot of fun. We'll have to uh, um, get into a, a little text chat and figure out a, a show that we, we all uh, are high on that we can do uh, again in a few weeks and rewatch. Because right now with no live sports going, um, the people are really enjoying this. It's fun with the WWE Network now and like the availability of all this because people can see oh we're going to talk about Wrestlemania 4 they can go flip it on in the background you know and 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 watch it you know 15 10 15 years ago it was a little bit harder to to, to find a lot of these shows so um Jason thanks a lot buddy I really appreciate it it was a lot of fun Danny I really appreciate it it's a lot of fun um so start thinking about which one uh, uh some of your other favorites that we can uh, we can link up on even if it's not a mania maybe we can do a SummerSlam or a Survivor Series or any other uh, event uh, uh, maybe a Rumble 92 maybe with Flair I was going to say SummerSlam 92 because I Here love we go. The, the British one. I was going to watch yeah, that soon. Sure, that'd be great. Uh, SummerSlam 92. I'm a, I'm a Bret Hart fan. We get the first, I think, the first uh, pay-per-view that was outside of the U.S. for uh, the WWF. So maybe, Danny, what do you think? SummerSlam 92 is a future rewatch? I, I, I'm good with anything WWF era up until you know, Hogan's uh, WCW exit. That's my prime time right there. Okay, so let's uh, let's let's circle that one maybe uh, and plan for a few weeks from now. Gino, can I give you one? Can I give you one line from that SummerSlam? Please in do. The, in the opening credits, when they're doing the uh, they're interviewing fans, and there's like some little kid who goes, <laughs> "The British Bulldog's gonna win." Whether he wants to or not. And I'm like, what the hell? Why <laughs> would he not want to win? <laughs> what does that mean? This is great. Yeah. So the, the pay-per-view goes he, downhill he after that. that. was going to carry him one way or the other. Yeah. yeah. And we'll have a lot of fun to talk about that one because uh, Davy Boy was uh, inebriated throughout oh, that yeah. match, which it ends up becoming just an incredible match anyway. So, okay, cool. Yeah, Teaser. Let, let's uh, let's start watching that one and we'll, we'll talk about it again when we reconvene in a few weeks. Beamy, thank you very much, buddy. Let the folks know where can we follow you online. Uh, Beamy Awards or the Jason Beam Horse Racing Podcast. And uh, Danny K, you, you like to have some fun on Twitter every now and then. Where can we follow you? A- 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 occasionally, if you want to uh, get updates on my cats on a day-to-day basis, follow <laughs> uh, at DerbyDannyX on Twitter. Hashtag awesome. Danny's a coward. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> Thank you very much, fellas. This was a blast. I look forward to uh, talking to Wrestle, uh, SummerSlam 92 with you guys again in a few weeks. Let's take a quick break here on That's What G Said. Let's hear from one of our sponsors, but don't go anywhere. And a big thank you to Danny and a big thank you to Jason Beam. We'll be back in a few weeks with them to talk uh, SummerSlam 92. Big thank you to Mike Joyce. Hopefully we can keep uh, talking about that last dance with Mike. He did a great job uh, breaking down those first couple episodes of the documentary and giving us some other fun stories and insight from his time uh, in Chicago as a Bulls fan during that crazy last dance era. Don't forget to subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, Share it around with your friends, anyone that's uh, that's a fan of sports or any of the different topics, wrestling that we discuss, some of the, the shows that we recap Always appreciate hearing back from you. We'll have another episode coming out in a few days where we kind of talk about what happened in uh, round one of the NFL draft. We are going to go back in time and recap WrestleMania 6 from 1990 with Darren and Andrew. 
We're going to give you some weekend horse racing. We're going to talk about the ruling that came out with the Red Sox today, which is absolutely bogus in baseball. So lots of uh, lots of different things to discuss on the next episode. Thanks again, folks, for tuning in. Here are the soothing sounds of Joey Cleveland with the That's What G Said theme song. <laughs>